Welcome back once again to the TetraCast. This is RPG Sites weekly podcast where we get these site staff together to talk about our favorite genre of video games. I am the host. My name is Brian Vitali. Joining me, I have the usual crew. We have Josh Torres. Hi. Hello. Adam Vitali. Hello. James Galizio. Hey, folks. And Chow Min Wu. How's it going? It is approaching mid-August. Uh, summer is winding down. I, and I assume many of us, are still working through Xenoblade Chronicles 3, at least compared to those that can just run through these games really, really quickly. Uh, even though we've talked about that game uh, with, at length for the last two podcasts, I just want to chime in here right at the start that I'm having a blast. I think the game is wonderful. I'm, I think I'm about halfway through the story, and I'm having a really great time. It's Don't miss it if you've been waiting on it. We're kind of waiting for the late August release of Soul Hackers. We've also talked about that game uh, in a preview sense on the last episode of the TetraCast. We will likely reapproach that title, um, I believe, next week. Uh, the embargo is up for that game, and we'll be able to talk about it at length in a full capacity. So we're kind of in a in a gap period here to kind of talk about all the things between basically the late July deluge of releases and the releases coming into the early fall holiday release schedule as we start going into September, October, and beyond. So as I was putting through this podcast document together and trying to outline what games we'll be talking about, what the news through line will be, and, ex- and all the you know what the flow of the conversation will be. Uh, this one might be a little bit weird. It's a little bit of uh, everything from everywhere, a little bit of a hodgepodge, but we'll just kind of go through it. There's been a few interesting uh, demos that have released and a few other uh, updates to release games that we'll be able to talk about for a little bit. And a couple uh, updates for new versions or new patches for... Uh, existing titles, specifically Final Fantasy XIV and Genshin Impact, that we'll be able to talk about a little bit here. We'll kind of go through it in whatever order we feel like. Uh, Hopefully it'll make as much sense as possible. What we're going to start out with, actually, is one of the games that is coming up in the later half of the year for a full release that has kind of flown under the radar in terms of anticipation due to the bigger titles that have launched recently. And that is uh, the Dio Field Chronicle. This was a strategy RPG announced by Square Enix back at a uh, back in March, was it a uh, PlayStation State of Play, Adam? I believe so. Yeah. I want to make sure it wasn't like a Square Enix Presents. But yeah, it was a, a spring release for this year. And they released a, a demo in the last week that carries over some progress to the main game when it releases. Uh, when does that game release? I should know this. Late September. September Late. It releases my birthday. Mm-hmm. Happy birthday. And so we have a we have a demo out available to play, and I know that at least Josh has been able to put some time into it, and Adam and I have watched a little bit of his progress, at least from a distance. Uh, so I figured, in the absence of anything else, we'll just kind of start with that as a game that we want to make sure we give a proper attention to, something that we do kind of standard in the last couple episodes of this podcast, but we're going to hand it off to Josh to start out with. We're going to carry out a discussion of what he thinks his initial impressions are for the Dio Field Chronicles with his time with the demo that has recently released. Yeah, Deal Field Chronicle is a pretty cool, interesting game. That's my initial impressions of it. I put around two and a half to three hours. It's a pretty beefy demo on the console uh, demo from PS5. And then uh, a day after, um, because the, the, the Japanese demo came out a day before, it went up in Western stores. But then, you know, that that version of the demo in Japanese stores also supported English. So I was like, okay, I might as well try, give it a try. So I was able to get about three hours on it on the PS5. Then I started it on again on the Steam demo because I didn't because they they made no indication. I, I'm, whatsoever. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I need to I need to correct something. It's very important. What's that? Uh, you mean that you played the 
British demo on your oh, Steam yeah. Deck. Yes. Yeah, the British demo. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I didn't play it on Steam Deck. I, I I think it runs fine from what I know. I didn't actually yeah. try it out. But I yeah, when they put that British demo equip. Yeah, when they put it out on the Steam demo, like for a few like hours or so, like it was just called it was called like the British demo. <laughs> just, oh really? Uh, yeah, literally Steam on Steam, it just called it the British demo for some it reason. It had to specify it was a British demo. They're not wrong. There's definitely a lot of British in it. Um, so yeah, the, so the, it's been uh, a lot of fun. You can uh, it's like the first few hours of the game, and you can transfer it over to the full game uh, when it releases in September twenty second. Um, it is definitely one of the more interesting, uh, so, like small side projects coming out of Square Enix. It's developed by Landcars. People may know them from the recently released Monarch, which is you know not a great, uh, like you know last impression from them. But I think that this game is like, it, it, I don't know if it's like great, but it's definitely good and interesting. I would say um, the basic setup is you you command like a, a mercenary unit. They have uh, the the three main characters are like. Andreas, Fredret, and Isolaire. And um you see like a brief uh cutscene before like 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 you get to the main menu, like you know, at their childhood, like one of their childhood friends was slain and like to carry on his will, you know, they uh set off and like try to like make a name for themselves in some mercenary unit. So the the tutorial stage has you like uh like basically rescuing like uh like this assistant to a ward. And then uh, after you do that mission, you're kind of employed in uh, under that uh, lord's domain as a mercenary unit. Um, and like the the world setup is basically very basic. Um, hey, there's like this evil empire, like that's a uh, that, that's surrounding like your your land mass. So like I forgot what the name of the empire was, but they they have like uh, this uh, like treaty with like another uh, alliance. And so they're they're kind of like trying they're trying to invade your like island of sorts. It's kind of, think of it like your the, this island is called Diofield, and it's under the I forgot the name of the Alarain or whatever nation. And and what I think of it is like how uh, Europe looks at at the United United Kingdom like geographically. Like Diofield is like the UK, and then the Empire is like mainland Europe. Um, so. The obviously the the empire wants to go invade deal field for their uh, natural resource of jade and, and all that you know basic I will, basic I will say that setup. yeah that yeah this is kind of from what I saw you playing in this game and I'm sure you'll get into the UI and the the gameplay aspects and like the characters later so I don't want to mm -hmm. I don't want to supersede that but yeah the premise that you have just laid out like my eyes are almost glazing over a little yeah. bit in terms of like how archetypal it is like oh yes. it's a, a neutral small kingdom butting uh -huh. up against a giant empire that has a natural resource that is yeah you're, you're, yeah, you're, yeah you're not you're not like you're not small but you're definitely like, sizable like you kind of have you, you do have like the land mass to go up, uh, up against this empire but it's just like it's there you're your stereotypical type of uh story like that and it's funny because like in the in this land of dio field you have like very uh big landmarks like southfield and westfield and northfield it's like cool <laughs> <You know? laughs> so um it, so like the 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 highlight here is the battles the battle system for sure you kind of have this isometric uh board it's kind of it reminds me of like old western rpgs like uh baldur's gate uh, and so forth it's it's almost like real time with pause so 
it, like the, and the environments remind me of um, Fantasian and the way they kind of do a diorama style as well. So they're very like isolated, but like big enough to like kind of like get a good like four to five minutes out of like that mission. And it's like it's like a lot of that time is like making strategical moves. So like in real time when you're moving, it's like about four to five minutes. But when you're when you factor in all like the pausing and like strategical moving, like it all uh, go beyond that. So at the start, everything is in real time. Um, you move your units sort of like an RTS, um, where like you can all you can up to four people can be uh, deployed, and then you can choose all of them at once, or one of them at one at a time, or groups of them. And uh, you kind of I, I just kind of want to stop you right there because yeah. like the fact that you only deploy four, just that's mm-hmm. kind of a different scale than than what I when whenever I hear like strategy rpg or specifically strategy rpg from a japanese developer i tend to think a a grid-based turn-based game so it's already different in the fact that it's more of a real time with pause but then also the fact that you only deploy four people so the scale seems like it's slightly different usually i'm used to like oh you deploy six seven eight people and typically in games like this i think the only ever tactical rpg i remember from recent well not even recent memory at this point it's been quite a bit it kind of reminds me of a game that Nisa published called Natural Doctrine. If you, if you, anyone yeah, remembers I remember that. that. Yeah, uh, it reminds me of um, old Growlancer games and um, Lord of Vermilion like uh, style. And you know, the the character artist from the Lord of Vermilion series is also working on this. So it it definitely pulls its inspirations from like way way lesser known. Uh, RPG properties. This is this is not a Final Fantasy Tactics club. No, no, it's not 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 it's not your Final Fantasy Tactics. It's not your persona. It's nothing like that. It's very much it's th- like to to people like going into it, this will feel novel, but it's it, like you know, this style has been done before, but not quite in a way that the way deal feel uh presents itself. So it's kind of it's very neat and like something uh feels fresh. So like yeah, you're you're kind of going through the a stage with these four uh characters and then the stage could be like at the very beginning it's like hey there's like uh we need to uh launch like a, a stealthy like small assault on this bandit camp like we'll go around their uh uh base camp to not face them head on and then kind of like assassinate like the the leader of them so the disperse so like we'll go like the story set up for that's like we'll go under the cover of night and then you have the lord like going off in their own separate unit so they can uh divert the attention of them to there while your unit goes uh, sticks around the back uh, into their stronghold. So like in this first mission, for example, like you you uh move your units and then you take out like you know the 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 few troops uh guarding it and then you'll capture like these uh base points like uh put put down a bridge uh and so forth. And then more more units that are like uh, capturing that base point that'll go faster. Um and it'll be like treats like you know like treasure chests along the way. And uh, and a lot of it is like uh, very much threat management because like uh, enemies do hit hard, so you have to think about like which unit is like the tank unit, which unit is like does a lot of uh, uh, damage when like when their uh, enemy's uh, back is faced to them, which unit can attack from a distance safely and make sure to like the, that the uh, enemies are clustered up enough so when they pull off their skill, like they're all in that that AOE like field of like rate of arrows. Um, and uh, it, it works pretty well because, like, how the, you see like the th- uh, like the threat circles of the of the enemies. So you know, like, hey, if your unit steps into this, 
they'll get their attention. So you usually want your your uh, tank up front. And then what I ha- I do is like I get like uh, Andreas. He's like an assassin type unit, like a thief. You know, I I I kind of position him ever so slightly, like be at an angle where they're like right. Uh, he's right behind them because you get they take additional damage if you attack them from behind. So he has this skill called assassinate, which does a ton of damage when they when it like hits them from behind, like almost one shots them. So like you have to take it to uh, take it to mind like those tactical considerations as well. And of course, like the tank also has like an interrupt skill to stun them briefly. So like say if you're going up against the boss at that stage and they have like a an attack incoming, and you'll see like the uh, like the circle, like a red circle around you like fill up, and then like you want to interrupt that attack with like the the tank skill. To make sure, to make sure like they're stunned out of it, so you don't have to you don't have to t- waste time to kind of move your units like out of that uh, threat zone. Um, Is the game so- more uh, class based or just character based? Like when you say tank or assassin, are you more describing just what the characters happen to be good at? Like it's bespoke to the the character themselves, or is it this character is a tank class? It's it's more of like it like they're your. Their stats and their skill set informs you of it, but it's like it's tied to that character. It's not like okay. from a, it's not like a job system. It's like Isolaire comes with like a tank skills and she's naturally good at tanking. Mm-hmm. Uh, I actually think uh, I'm kind of in the place where I played a few games recently that like I love job systems in games, but mm-hmm. I kind of like the idea of having a game where it's more character focused, where this character, their abilities, their skill, they are suited to be in a tanking role unique to that character, not because they are guardian class or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So you get you get to this stage, like it's you know, still the first stage of the game. And then like the the, the game really opens up because after in between stages you go back to this base camp and you can like fully explore like this small base camp. It's kinda fairly limited and I don't know if they are gonna open up in the demo, but like it's sort of weird because like you're like in this mansion of this lord, but like to ensure that like you don't get like to the the set the, the second floor or like any door that like the developers don't want you to go through. Like they have like like big iron gates inside the mansion. So it's kind of like like an adult baby gate almost. <laughs> like you cannot go here. Uh, do not go. Do not pass. Like all right. Well, so it's like it's not really an invisible wall. It's just like an awkward like iron gate in front of you in the mansion. It's like sure. Um, well, yeah. One thing I want to make sure of because one thing I didn't quite realize, even though you can kind of glean this from the trailer, is that this uh, like the in between battles is like fully 3D space, fully like yes. third third person perspective uh, exploration of this of your like home base or whatever. It's not just like a menu. Like sometimes for tactical RPGs, it's just abstracted to um, selecting from a list and a menu. Like I'm thinking kind of like base conversations from like older Fire Emblem games where this is more, uh, this is more like the Academy in, in three houses yeah, a yeah. little bit or not the, mm-hmm. the monastery. Yeah. But it, yeah, but it's very, it's not like as robust as that. It was just basically like, Hey, you, through this mode, you can get access to like a, a merchant shop to buy new weapons and accessories. Or like you can go to like, like the, the, the research lab and then you can go out where you can like uh, upgrade skill trees. Uh, and so forth. So it, it's basically like it's 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 functional in the way it has to be, and like you don't you don't have to waste time like uh, roaming around it and walking. You can, there's actually like a fast travel uh, function in the map where you can just like fast travel to any room in the mansion immediately. You don't have to waste time like walking there, which I appreciated. Mm-hmm. It's like oh okay, you didn't have to do this, but I I, I appreciate that function. Um, so like it, it's interesting because the game has this merchant shop. And of course, you can like buy new weapons, but like purchasing weapons is pretty important in this game because like that's how you gain new abilities for your characters. 
So for example, like Isolaire the tank, like at first she only has a shield bash we can stun, but like her next weapon allows her to uh get get a new skill called shield charge where she can actually like uh start initiation over the with a foe like from a distance uh which is like very valuable to have uh as a tank so you don't have to like waste time like running up to them very slowly so uh, do they have to like equip that gear for a certain period of time to like learn the skill no it's 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 right there right from the get-go so as long as like you know i i i equip that weapon that she can use that skill there's there's and no there's if, no and if they unequip the weapon do they maintain it or no it's like no the weapon. no it, it's oh, okay. a weapon. I, I assume it's going to be like a, it's a linear progression of like hey um if you like i don't think they're going to have like a weapon where like it's a weapon upgrade and stats but i don't think they're going to like take away skills from you I, I assume that higher tier weapon will still have that skill on it because that makes well, sense even, but even if it's not the case i kind of like the idea of having multiple facets to like i'm going to equip this weapon because a not only does it have better stats or whatever um it also gives me access to the shield charge yeah so maybe it'll be completely linear um, but i actually might appreciate if it's if it's not like oh this weapon's stronger but yeah yeah, if it branches in some way oh this weapon's stronger but i no longer have access to shield bash which more important to me and uh, yeah, and there's like uh, uh, like other systems along with that. So like aside from the weapon, uh, your characters can equip up to two accessories. It just it kind of threw me off at first because everyone has boots at first. I'm like, where's the armor slot? It's like no boots are count as an accessory. You don't have to wear boots, you know, Uh-oh. if you don't want to because like your boots boots is an accessory. You can wear like a like a necklace and a wristband or whatever. So it's, so it's just a weapon and two accessories. Yes, there's well one okay. weapon, two accessories. But yeah, accessories then, can look like armor, like boots. Yes, can look like boots. They can look like necklaces. They can look like whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's not necessarily armor, uh, but you know, each each accessory like has its own like uh, stat gains. Like one made like a necklace might give you uh, more HP, or um, a, a wrist bracelet might give you more MP, or another thing might give you more attack, more defense, etc. So it's kind of like just minor tweaking on like your your uh, passive stats. Uh, on your units for the accessories. Um, other than that, you have um, a character like, um, it, like abilities, not abilities. It's called like, I'm trying to remember how what the term was in the game. But you basically have like these, uh, like these, not not the skill tree, but the other thing for characters is like a, like a character tree where like you can like fine tune their um, like stats, like attack speed or like uh, critical hit chance or luck. Um, I forgot what the exact term was in the game, but there's like another thing to upgrade your characters, and it's it's like it's like character specific. So like the archer is Skyrian. So they're like kind of like uh, talents or traits or something. Yeah, yeah. I think it's I think it's talents. Yeah. Um, like a Skyrian will have like uh nodes for like, hey, I can upgrade my luck and my critical hit chance and like uh, and my auto attack damage, uh, while um, um your uh, Fredret. Mom might have something like for my talent tree, I can upgrade my HP and like how much health is restored. Like every time, like uh, a source of healing is coming to me, whether it's a spell or it's a potion uh, and so forth. And then, and then the, like, now that I mention it, like you can't really stock up on items per battle as well. You can only have up to two consumable items with you when you deploy for a mission, whether it's like two HP potions or like an HP potion and like an MP potion. But it's like it's 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 like fairly limited as well. And once you consume it, you have to buy more potions or more of that potion from the shop. So it's not like unlimited healing or something that restores in between battles. It's like 
you have to really think about resource management when it comes to like using an item. It's like, okay, if I use this item, I'll no longer be able to use it and I have to go purchase another one. So it's fairly restrictive in that way of making you like pushing you to think about, okay, is there a better way to go about? Uh, but, but also by limiting how many they use per battle, sometimes some like some strategy games you end up like with like later in the game the economy ends up being not quite so balanced so you're just like i have 99 whatever of these and i just can spam these whenever i need them so the fact yeah. that you have to you know spend your whatever gold resource on them but then on top of that you're limited to a handful of views i kind of like that in principle yeah yeah um and also so you have the talent trees i forgot to mention also in battle uh, like you you collect these um these crystal fragments that like fills up like, a circular bar at the like lower right corner and like there, there's like three like nodes on it that you can like gradually fill up as you uh complete the circle but like anytime one of those like like nodes are filled up like you can like use like a like a i think i forget what it's called like a magicite stone or something like that and like for the demo like you have access to bahamut right away so you can like use like you can use those charges like summon bahamut and like do massive AOE damage, uh, right? Like you know, when once you have access to it, and it's like that's pretty funny because like I don't think there's like really a big story, like explanation of like why you can just like summon Bahamut. It's just like oh, you can do it. Yeah, sure. Uh, I guess <laughs> I need to ask then: does the, the is the demo at the outset of the story, or is it kind of like in media res? What do you mean? Like, when, does the demo is the demo look like it's chapter one of the Deal Field Chronicle, or is it like yeah. a few yeah. a few chapters in? Well, no, progress carries over, right? So it has to yeah. be the beginning. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, I was wondering, maybe it's like, oh, like this is just happens to take place when Bahamut's already been introduced or something. Oh, no. It's just Bahamut's with you. It's like, okay, thanks, Bahamut. All right. uh, so, yeah, and after the first proper mission, um, you also unlock skill trees. And the skill trees are really interesting because you, you have, like, these four, like, roles. You have, like... Um, the the combat person who's really good at DPS, tank who's really good at obviously tanking and defense, the cavalier which is really good at like mobility and like um, you know just general movement, and then you have like the magicker, uh, and then you get that character at the second mission. But the, there's way there's ways to like uh, kind of specialize into certain things. So you can get like formation skills from the skill tree, so you can get like other another source of skills from there. But that, that's not the primary thing. It's there. So like at the first node in the defender tree, you get like a, a formation skill called like um, field something, and then you get, you basically enhance your defense, and also you get you provoke nearby enemies. But then unlike uh, unlike that in the magic tree, you get like a formation skill of like an AOE healing spell uh, around your enemies, and then if you once you once you uh, learn that, you can like branch off into like one of three ways. Yeah, uh, where you can like enhance like certain magic spells. You don't necessarily learn them, but you like they gain more traits. So one of the branching things from like that uh, base magicker node is like this uh, meteor fall, and like you don't learn meteor fall. The the mage that you get in the second mission already has meteor fall with them, but it enhances it so that when you cast meteor fall, it always guarantees uh, uh, inflicting the burn status ailment on. Um, enemies in that inside the circle of it the like the fiery like hole it leaves after you cast it so that like it, and then there's other ones where like you can decrease the cost of like uh ep they'll cost that that's the mp in the game it's ep um so it's just uh it's just other ways you can like modify like your play style 
And like, I really appreciate that. Like, in each like aspect of the skill tree, even even for like nodes that are far off and you can't like act like learn them right away, you still get like a, a little mini gameplay clip that shows like, hey, this is what it looks like. This is what the skill looks like, or this is like what the effect is uh, on that skill. So one one of the nodes in the magic tree is like, if you cast a healing spell on a unit, it'll also heal their status ailments along with them. And then you can like see that in the mini gameplay clip. I'm very, I'm very glad that these skills are, they, they, they change the ability in like a meaningful way. Like the the meteor fall leads a burning field, or heal, healing also heals ailments. Because sometimes some games they do where it's like does five percent more damage or has ten percent extra yeah. crit chance. Where like sure those can be useful and meaningful, and you can build craft around them, but they're just less interesting. Or like, yeah. oh, I do, I do twenty five damage instead of twenty two because I get an extra ten percent. Or so the fact that it's like, all right, now I can do this uh, meteor fall and and inflict a debuff as well. Just it just seems a little bit more interesting on its face that the, that it modifies yeah. the skills in those ways, and, and, and like you feel it in the battle too. Like uh, like it makes a meaningful difference when you're out there. It's like okay, thank God I had this because now I, now I won't have to like babysit these these units uh, in like after casting it because they'll just die on their own from the burn damage. Like I can always mm-hmm. rely on that. Um, uh, and th- there were some points like uh, like since we're on the uh, skill tree, like it, the, this like the English localization of this game is like it's fairly okay for the first uh, for the most part, but there are like some weird things that stand out. Like the status effect that you would know as like knows like haste in the West, like they've uh, localized that as like rapidity in <laughs> in, hmm. in the game. And that's like, cause, yeah, that's because you downloaded the British demo. Yeah, obviously that's Apparently. what they call haste in, in, rapidity? in Britain. Yeah, rapidity. <laughs> that makes me think it must have to do with something with like how often like they can act or something, maybe? Like Yeah, yeah it's it's like why of, rapidity and not like haste or agility yeah. or something or quickness yeah, it, or swiftness yeah, or it's something. Odd. Yeah. Yeah. And and for the most part, like I was kind of surprised that like the English voice acting like holds up for the most part. Like I, I didn't hate it though. That is fairly inconsistent. Like there'll be times where like kind of the delivery is sort of off or like like awkward like pauses in like the dialogue but like the like the delivery of the, like the voice lines themselves is fairly okay like i'm not gonna like praise it for like being amazing but like it's like it's better than what i what i was expecting and it you know and because a lot of it's like it's british voice acting and there's a certain like flavor like a unique flavor of it too and like they they certainly like uh have like some british terms they're like taking the mick and it's like all right <laughs> So, um, it, it, so it is kind of it's, it's kind of weird because like normally I like kind of British English voice acting because I because it usually is a breath of fresh air. But now it's like, well, we got Xenoblade, we got Xenofield. Yeah, Final Fantasy <laughs> 16 is gonna. It seems like it's going that way too. So it's like, all right, all right, not not quite so much a breath of fresh air anymore, is it? Yeah. Um, and also like the the if if the canned lines like I I remember last week I, I think. I forgot if Adam and I, I was talking about it last week with Soul Hackers too or whatnot. But in this game, but like when you're talking to like um, people, like usually in story scenes, it's like fully voiced and so forth. But like when you're like talking about like around the base camp with NPCs and and such, like there'll be like canned lines or like audio, small audio lines that don't really like say what's in the text box, but like it's standard RPG thing. And like some of like the the ones in this in Dio field is so comical and out of place. So, for example, the the skill tree when you unlock the skill tree, you go to this research lab and like there are these NPCs that we are uh, like plague mass doctors 
like they have like that like crow mask and like a lab coat. The beak, yeah, yeah, and like and there's two of them. You you don't you 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 don't know about it yet. Like that there's a second one, but the, like after like the like the second or third mission, like a second one of them shows up, same character model and everything. It's like a twin brother to the other one that you first meet. It's like okay, well, do you mean like you, literally a twin brother or just like oh this person has the exact same model? I'm gonna call them it. Just has the same body. They, they don't just oh, say okay. that they're brothers. It's, it just has the same model. <laughs> um, uh, but like you talk to him and like he'll just like have like the most dramatic like canned lines for certain things like one of, it could be like something is like I've been doing research for so and so but then the canned line for that would be like no no I'm like holy Wait, what? shit what what <laughs> and, like it's like really because I'm okay with like canned lines because like games in the like mid two thousands and earlier used to do that a lot but I would expect yeah. him to say something like innocuous like what's up or how can I help you? You know, something like that, where it doesn't match what they're saying, but it just gives a little bit of flavor. But like, why would they just start screaming? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just it, this game has a, like a handful of those, and it's just very weird. Um, uh-huh. Yeah, but that's like, I, I think overall, I think it is a very pretty interesting game, and it makes me a lot more uh, excited to play the full game and see how that shapes up. I do. It does have some weird, funky stuff going on with the PC version, for at least with my setup. Where if I if I turn on this, this game has like supports ray tracing and uh, FSR, by the way, which is kind of unexpected, but I guess welcome. But but in my setup, like turning on some of those knobs will like kind of mess up like the hair, where the hair will have like this weird graphical effect, where like there's like it, like there's like waves coming out of the hair, and it's like very unnatural. Is that an FSR effect or no? I have, I have FSR off, and like when I turn off ray tracing, it somewhat mitigates it too, but not entirely. There'll be it'll still prop up like some, some points. Yeah. So I'm still kind of, I'm still kind of investigating like well, what's up with that. Um, but it's not, it's not like a huge deal breaker. It, it it's totally fine otherwise on on PC. I it's it's oddly enough, it's like one of the rare like uh, JRPGs uh, that I prefer play on keyboard and mouse. Um, it's like I do. I actually do like the keyboard and mouse bindings. Um, once you love, like you, you know, there'll be some like weird awkwardness getting used to it. But once like I got used to it and like and switched around some keys, like it works pretty well on keyboard and mouse. I was, I was like, I I feel a lot more like with controller. You could like you still have like a certain level of precision and like it still works like no problem. But like for for me, since I'm kind of used to like RTS like uh, games with keyboard and mouse, like I feel like I have like a level of precision. That I, I otherwise didn't with a with a controller. Um, not that you really need it, but like it just it's just welcome to, to have it there. Um, but this yeah, might be hard to explain without like going into a ton of detail. But if oh. it's an isometric view and you've and you've compared it to like Baldur's Gate, is it implementing the PC controls well enough that you can like I don't know drag a box around your characters, click on yes. the, click on the field to move them? Oh, that's yeah. Uh, you can drag a box to like a like a like a, uh, select a certain number of them. And then there's like uh, then both on controller and uh, mouse there's like a, a hotkey already to like select all of them. Uh, I I think the the main thing that I like is that uh, the your numbers are assigned to like one of your to each of like the characters in your party like uh, number one through four like they they have like a this a number assigned to them so it's easy to access them. Yeah, you just press one, one and yeah, that's, that, that's RTSs can do that too. Yeah, it's kind of funny. Yep. No, I'm just and, saying like that really does seem like. Not that the game was "quote unquote" made for PC, but they like you know this. This makes sense if we're gonna have a PC version of this game that has you know, these are kind of like the expected ways we'd want 
the UX to work. Yeah, the the way the controller handles that is like the when you press X, it'll like it'll like go select like the what it thinks is the closest unit, but you can still like toggle between units with the with the triggers. So like it still has like that level of finesse. And since like every time you select a unit to like move or do an action, like it'll like like pretty much freeze time. So like you always have like have uh, time to like think about what you're doing. It's kind of like the FF7 remake, like uh, classic or uh, battle mode. Mm -hmm. So you, it's not it's not like something like you have to like rush to like uh, do something. So uh, the RTS like where you have like the professional back when like StarCraft you know leagues were super popular seeing people like have when time doesn't pause at all obviously that's why it's a yeah. real-time strategy so like the uh, the technique was basically being as efficient with like your mouse movements and clicks as possible yeah so uh, so, yeah so i mean that that's kind of my initial impressions of the game i think it's it makes i don't think it's going to be a game for everyone obviously i i, I there is like a certain level of jankiness to it uh, for sure like the the character models are okay they're not like as awkward as like star ocean but there's not like that porcelain doll look to them that is like it is like a very big contrast to like the the really really like spectacular like portrait artwork that they have um and like the way you know the way that like some lines are delivered some of like the pacing in the scenes when it comes to dialogue it, it like is sort of off like you know there, there's like things around the edges that are like okay this was definitely made like on like uh a limited budget but I, but it's okay because like i think that the the the, the strength of the gameplay makes it an interesting experience like something that like you don't really get see much anymore in jrpgs yeah i'm interested in this game because it looks like it has a unique play style it's not attached to any like ip or brand or i knew i knew, I knew that new. adam was gonna bring that up he just yeah you knew adam, you adam, know adam gets brownie points if it's just a new ip which I'm not saying I'm not, I'm not even criticizing that. I, I kind of agree to some extent that it's not it's just like oh new and not not adhering yeah. to any sort of existing canon or anything. Yeah, like that. So, it's, a, it's it's definitely a big turnaround from uh, Landcarts' recent uh, ventures uh, in video games. So this is one that's actually got, caught my eye for sure. And 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 yeah, I really I wonder how the Japanese uh, audio track uh, sounds. I didn't play it in Japanese yet, but it is it does support dual audio, but. I really do like the the intense narrator voice, uh, always uh, narrating like what's going on in the story. It's like uh, this unit member has joined their party because so and so and so, and they have their own motivations of like uh, doing so. It's like all right. How's the, uh, how's the soundtrack so far? It's okay. It's nothing like memorable so far, but it, it gets the job done. I don't think I, I don't think it's bad. It's just it's the reason just, like, why I brought that up is the soundtrack is being done by the Game of Thrones composers. Interesting, interesting. Yeah, I, I haven't I've never seen Game of Thrones, yet. so I don't know if that's. Yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah, what is, it's like, what does that mean? It's, it's it funny. Is. It, it is funny that like the, that more and more games, is not, like especially this year, have like that Game of Thrones legacy, like with Elden Ring with R.R. Martin on it, and now you have like the Game of Thrones composer on this project. And, and uh, it's like it's one of those things that like unlike with Elden Ring, right, where they always were mentioning like George R R Martin is working with uh, from software to make this game. This one is is like Square Enix is very they don't really market this game at all, and more, even more so like they 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 barely mentioned that. I think they only mentioned it like once, and that's it. Well, Adams Adams even like gone been on record saying that it's they don't hide it, but it's interesting that like Square Enix releases so many of these like. I don't want to say B tier, but like double A, lower tier games a year. Like, how many have they released this year? I feel like Square Enix has, has has sponsored like so many of our podcasts and reviews. And then oftentimes you have to dig just a little bit more than you expect to to figure out like who's developing this. Oh, it's Land Cars, or oh, it's 
uh, Claytech works or, oh, it's whoever. You know, Square Enix to... is not very upfront with like who actually develops their games. That, that's a good, that's a good word for it. They're not upfront about it. You kind of have to like look for it. I, I think we said before, a lot of Square Enix games are not actually made by them. They're just publishing. I mean, Square Enix oftentimes has like a producing team, but a lot of the like development is done out, you know, outsourced. Like, yeah, it, it's kind or... of a, it's kind of a weird thing, right? Because like it, it kind of a lot of people have this weird impression because of the way Square Enix does this. Like a lot of these things are like developed by Square Enix in their minds. It's like, wow, Square Enix is like handling so many things at once. How are they keeping up with all this development? It's like that's not really the case. But I don't like Live Alive was well, who who developed Live Alive? It wasn't Square Enix. <laughs> Historia. Yeah, Historia. And then, like, Dio Field is Landcars, the Valkyrie game is uh, Soleil, and so on. Basically, and Star Ocean is obviously uh, Tri-Ace. Tri-Ace yeah. Uh, so, yeah, just... I actually... Th- I don't know who's making the Tactics Ogre redo. I think that one might actually be Square Enix. <laughs> but I'm not sure. Because they're not always upfront about this. Yep. So, yeah, that's uh, the Dio Field Chronicle demos available now on all the platforms, except... I, I-, I think it's on Switch, too. Yeah, it's on Switch. <laughs> Um, so um, I did, I did download there. it like while you were talking about it because if I have it showing up in my I don't keep things installed on my Steam library once I finish them or so like if it's sitting there on like currently installed list I'm more likely to play it and start it so I'm like all right I'm gonna I'm gonna download this so that I maybe by next podcast I'll play it or something but yeah, yeah. I got it ready I got it queued up cool though yeah and, and then you know whatever platform you play it on it all support like you know save data transfer from the demo to the full game and I, I just recommend people to give it a shot like uh, you, you, it's hard to get a grasp of like how you'll feel about this game until you actually start playing it i, I don't i don't think it presents well to like outside spectators to our who are already like warm to the idea of the game it's always kind of hard to present like these sort of isometric styled games because you know just like a single screenshot isn't kind of confusing there's not you're not exactly sure what's going on and you're kind of like at a pulled out camera, so you're not sure what you're really looking at. But once you actually like get into it, I think, you know, you kind of that's what the demo is for. So, yeah. Well, the next game that we'll talk about is uh, Monster Hunter Rise Sunbreak. So this had a digital event earlier this week that was going to detail the game's upcoming title updates. And one of these updates just released this week. And I haven't got a chance to play it yet. I just recently finished the not the base expansion story. But James mentioned right before the podcast that he was able to spend a little bit of time with Monster Hunter Rise's Sunbreak title update one. So, James, first of all, just remind us what this added. I think it was a, a seething basil, a basil juice and a few other things, but I'm not certain. And then just like what you've uh, how how it has been implemented into the game and what you've been able to do with it. And is it worth basically booting this back up if you had finished Sunbreak a while back? All right. So, um Kind of like with Monster Hunter Rise's uh, base game, the first title update um, added in a bunch of uh, new monsters and also kind of reinvigorated the end game in a certain to a certain extent. So title update one for Sunbreak added in Seething Basil Goose, uh, Gold and Silver Rathian Is that how it's Rathos. pronounced? I always call it Basil Juice or Beetle Juice. Beetle Juice. I don't know, like, specifically how you pronounce it. Um, but um, so you get that Gold Rathian, Silver Rathalos, and Lucent Nargakuga. Those are the new monsters. And they have added an entirely new um, system for the end game called Anomaly Investigations. And uh, funny thing about that, Anomaly Investigations and uh, Curious Crafting, which is the thing that's kind of attached to it, 
was announced the day after I, I pushed that feature saying, hey, the uh, anomaly monsters in the endgame for Monster Hunter Rise Sunbreak kind of sucks. Yeah, <laughs> but, so um, uh, about a month ago, maybe, maybe a little more than a month ago. Uh, a little less, a little less than a month ago. We talked about your and Josh's opinions on the afflicted monsters, and then you had written up your thoughts on it. So I'm interested to see like how that was potentially addressed here in the first uh, post-launch update. Yeah, so I haven't actually done any of the anomaly investigations themselves yet, but uh, the way they work is kind of like how guild quests works in for Ultimate, because kind of like a mix between that and investigations for a Monster Hunter world, in the sense that um, you each quest has a level, um, and each monster like like each anomaly monster has a base level for an anomaly investigation, and your anomaly research level or whatnot rises the more anomaly monsters you fight you fight and um investigations are a way to get specific uh material drops that can be used to augment armor and weapons so the way that weapons are augmented is very much um similar to how you could augment weapons in uh, or ramp up weapons in the base game for rise as well as augment weapons in world and iceborne um augmenting armor is a bit funkier because it's not just like raising the base defense stat but it also has like a chance to change base like the like stats of the armor itself not just the defense but also like stuff like um elemental resistances how many skill like points you get for specific skills like a buddy of mine posted this in another server. And it's like sometimes the augments aren't good, and you can skip them, so you have you can reroll, and it's kind of uh, kind of funny in the sense because it's like um, it definitely adds a bit more to the end game, and it's like oh, if you really want to uh, focus on that min maxing at the end, you can keep doing anomaly investigations. They keep getting harder, and you can keep augmenting. Uh, weapons and armor to try and make the perfect build, which I mean, it's not an, an amazing end game, but it's definitely a lot better than it was at launch, which is weird to say since launch was just like a month and a half ago. Yeah, at least it gives you like something to do, like like a, a goal to strive for. And I think that's a lot more compelling than just like being uh, in its awkward like base state. So I, I kind of I, I need to get into it. I need to I haven't been able to try out the new update, but but when I hear it's like it's like it gives incentive to at least keep on playing again and again and again. Like and like you're you're always working towards something now if you want it if you want it to be like that. Yeah. So all the new and returning monsters are very cool. Lucent Argakuga hasn't been seen for like God for a decade, hasn't it? Over yeah. a decade. Because yeah. like Monster Hunter Three Ultimate. For people like me that only know time. regular Nargakuga, what what does Lucent Nargakuga do? Uh it goes uh, invisible. Oh, neat! Yeah, so yeah, so like yeah, when when it like dashes around, like you you like it'll like fade out of like existence, and then you're like, I, okay, I, I, love, now. I love how I said that, and Brian's immediately like, oh, I don't <laughs> know if I want to fight this monster. <laughs> yeah, then, then there's like there's like seven, like it also switches up like it's certain like uh, tail attacks. Like you remember like the little uh, tail spikes that like the uh, normal Naga mm-hmm. Kuga has. Now it like has a mover, like it like slams its tail to the ground, and like in that and those tail spikes uh, go out like in a circle formation. Um, yeah, it's got a thing where it has multiple different AoE patterns for the tail spikes. Oh, where it's nice. like it'll be like a rain. It, basically, the best way of putting it is, you know, the uh, I forget the exact name for the move, but the arrow rain move with the bow. Yes. 
basically that, but with tail spikes that can give you noxious poison. <laughs> Neat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so uh, it was a fun fight. Had a lot of uh, fun with uh, fighting all the monsters. Uh, Seething Mazel Goose uh, has seen some changes. Well, all of the monsters have seen some changes, obviously. Mm. Uzen Nargakuga probably the most, because we haven't Ooh. seen it in a decade. But um, Seething Basil Goose has a thing where you know how like both it and regular Basil Goose can do that thing where it'll like, kind of fly over the field like two or three times, like just shaking off all of its bomb scales mm -hmm. and then like dive down. Uh, it can do that, but it can also have a chance of uh, doing it a bit closer to the ground. So while it's like throwing them down, it'll also just like bring its tail down and like slam it down as it's like flying over to cause an explosion that way too. So if you're not look like if you're not being wary for it or like looking out for it, you'll get hit by that and it deals a lot of damage. So in, in. normally you can wait for them like, okay, I as long as I stay away, I'm fine because he hasn't, hasn't dived yet, but now he's just going to like disambush yeah. you with the tail slam on, on the way. I, I think it was funny in the, when they were showing off the digital events, I was able to catch that. Like one of the quote unquote new features was you can now fight two monsters at once. And I'm like, that's really funny. That has to be like a feature now for Monster Hunter. Well, I don't uh, think it was, I don't think they uh, put it the, the right way. It, it's not that it's like, oh, you can fight two monsters in one. I mean, obviously you can. It, it's more like, here's some super powerful monsters that have not been available to fight outside of just on their own. And we're going to have event quests where you can fight multiple of them at the same time. Like there's going to be an event quest for you to fight both Gold Rathian and Silver Rathalos at the same time. Uh, that sounds like hell, to be honest. I'm thinking about like, man, that's a lot of uh, AOE. Remember that MR-125 Urgent in Iceborne where you had to do that? That was fun. <laughs> so, you know, there's going to be going to be some spice and some sauce uh, coming uh, to Sunbreak. Yeah, Imagine on having own, to fight I don't know. two Lucent Nargakugas at the same time. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, on its own, I don't know if title update one sounds like. So I got to the point in Sunbreak where like afflicted monsters were just introduced, and I I I, I had kind of gone in with the mindset like I had like okay I don't want to I don't want to lose my life to this game so I'm gonna I'm gonna stop here especially since I had just by the time I got to the afflicted monsters I. Had just participated in the podcast episodes where you and Josh had talked about how and they're all right, they're not great. So at that point, I kind of paused. I do want to get back to the game, but I think I might just wait for like, did they, did they, I didn't watch the actual digital event. Did they detail when the next title update is scheduled to like drop? Late September. Have they, did, have they detailed like what will it be, what it will incorporate with it or not quite? Uh, no, just nope. what we currently know where it's like they said new. Rare subspecies monsters, powered up monsters, and what was the last one? Let me check. We'll probably hear more about it at Tokyo Game Show. They'll probably detail it there. Yeah, that makes sense. Makes sense. It'll probably be a thing where it's like, this is out next week, and here's what you can fight. Yeah. Uh, so here's what the what explicitly they said: um, late September, rare species and subspecies monsters, and as well as which is kind of monsters. a given. Yeah. So looking at the what what they're showing it seems like we're probably going to see a subspecies for uh fuck what's the name of the uh what's the name of the uh one frontier monster they added to well espinus espinus yeah we're probably getting an, an espinus uh, subspecies because you can see it in the tower and it's 
going to be one of those. I'm not sure if I'm excited for that, knowing Frontier. Um, <laughs> yeah, like the Frontier is like one of those. It's like, okay, there's a certain point. Don't add any more monsters after there's a certain point in Frontier. <laughs> yeah. The early Frontier monsters, all right, we're good. <laughs> Anything like later ones, like, mm. <laughs> But uh, yeah, Tokyo Game Show is probably like the next big, big event. We'll, show, we'll like hear a lot, for, uh, a lot of updates from like Japanese games. So like that'll be on. Going for September fifteenth or September eighteenth, so almost like just a month away, pretty much. Yeah. So it's gonna it's gonna be exciting to see what the like at, at Capcom already showed like, hey, yeah, we'll have a sunbreak here along with Street Fighter Six and uh, the Mega Man Battle Network Collection, which is like the, these are the first titles that we're revealing for Tokyo Game Show. So I'm sure very shortly after uh, uh, the Tokyo Game Show, we'll have the next title update here. And what what uh what time of the year is Tokyo Game Show? Is it like late September? Mid- yeah, it's all September. Says, yeah, September fifteenth. Like... It says September eighteenth this year. Oh, okay, so month away. Yep. All right. As I was looking through the list of games we have been playing uh, before this podcast that were not Xenoblade Three because we've discussed that at length, and Soul Hackers because we are going to just planning on discuss that seemingly next week. Uh, Chow had listed something on his that I thought we'd give a window to talk about here because I don't know anything about it. And that is Chow has been playing a game called Dragon Knight 4. Chow, okay. I'm going to need you to like kind of introduce this, you know, Dragon Knight 4 101. Like, what is this game? I assume it's part of a series. Uh, why you decided to play it recently is I don't, I don't know if this is on your Mr. system or somewhere someplace else. So just kind of okay. give us a lowdown of what this is and what, yeah, what you think about it. Okay, so what happened was uh, on a YouTube recommendation, I got music lined up. <laughs> I, I, I'm going to stop you there. And I just love how all of Chow's stories somehow tie into YouTube in some fashion. So anyways, I got music played. I'm like, okay, maybe I'll check this game out. And and then I, I got the uh, PlayStation 1 version. Apparently, this is like a PC erotic novel that has mm-hmm. strategy RPG elements. So that's kind of like the rundown. Uh, since this is the fourth game in entry, you know, it's a direct sequel to the past games, but like, do you have any experience with the other games? No, but I read it up. Basically in the past game, you play as this guy that has a Japanese name in a, in a fantasy setting for some reason, his name's like Takeru Yamato or something. And everyone else has like middle English name for some reason. But anyways, uh, he's like this hero that saved the world from a demon invasion in the previous games. And now he's married with the main heroine, and now he has a kid, and you play as the kid in the fourth game, apparently. Um, All right. I think her name's like, what, Kakeru? Yeah. The, yeah. But uh, the main character's name is, uh, in the fourth game, is called Kakeru. And he's kind of like this little bratty kid that's doing all kinds of pranks on the girls in the village or something like that. And when he was like 15, the main... Uh, the main character's parents just tell him, get the hell out. You're going on an adventure now. And that's basically the, the story, that how it starts out. Um, what is it? There, there's two subplots that's going on. In the demon world side, there is a demon lord that is having an affair with the... Or this kind of like a general that's having an affair with a demon lord's daughter. Scandalous. Yeah. Anyways, when the demon lord found out about that, he basically gave him a mission. If you want to like date my daughter or fulfill a mission to date my daughter, uh, you have to go back in time and kill the protagonist from the previous games. And this is very far in the future. Which, which is which is your dad, right? Yeah, that's your dad. He wants you to go back. 
he like this place like they're already dead, but they blame the main character's parents that they couldn't invade the human realm because uh, of the main character from the previous game. So they want him to go back way far in like the distant past to kill him or something like that. And so he gave him this mission, and he also curses his own daughter for some reason, saying that if he can't complete the mission, the the, the curse is not lifted or something like that. So this guy has a reason to to complete his mission. Um. So, anyways, you go on an adventure. Uh, you you your childhood friends come on with your adventure, and you get to play the battle system, which is kind of like a a mixture of Advance Wars with a very weird leveling up system. Uh, you have like units that represent your HP number, like you know, at full health, you're at nine. You have nine units that you'll see in combat. And, you know, if you lose health, you lose those units in combat. Mm. And you also lose attack power because you lost units, right? Yeah, something like that. Okay. Uh, the weird, the reason why I say the leveling up system is really weird is because you're not represented by levels. You have a defense and an attack stat. And every time you kill somebody, your attack and defense stat goes up. And that's how the leveling system works. Okay. So it's like Saga. <laughs> yeah, but you only have two stats to focus on. So you're not really... You know, focusing on too many different strats. Um, was it? It's been ported to like many different systems, so they kind of tweaked the battle system a bit in in each port. Um, I think Ben, what's that name? Uh, who makes all the SD Gundam? Uh, uh, ben Presto. Yeah, I yes. think, uh, yeah. So I think I think I think for the PlayStation version of this, like the PlayStation One version. Of this, Apparently, they, they ported they ported the the one on the PlayStation One version okay. and also the. Nintendo version. So. Yeah, so I'm uh I pulled up the uh wiki page, Dragon Knight 4, like PC ninety eight, then DOS and SNES, PlayStation, Windows in two thousand seven. So yeah, yeah that's... it's had a lot of versions. Where's our so, Steam yeah. release? Where's Where's the Steam? Where Apparently it's been games? remade on the Windows before and it kept all the erotic elements intact, but mm-hmm. I'm just playing the PlayStation version, so I don't know what happens. You're there. innocent, right? You're fine. You you can't get in trouble. Can't get in trouble with that. Uh, one of the most interesting things about this game is that uh, you had to beat the game twice to get the real ending, kind of like Yoko Taro games. Uh, the reason why is because of this time loop. Remember how I said that the guy, the main antagonist, went time traveling uh, you know, to kill you, right? Or to kill the main character's dad. Um, during the plot line, you save this elf, uh, elf lady who becomes like this main heroine. But what she's actually is is a double agent that was sent by the main bad guy. Hey. Uh, and how the story goes that, you know, she finds out that, you know, the main bad guy does not love her. He loves the demon lord's daughter, right? So when she found out about that, she betrays him. And, you know, and during that timeline, the main character's friends all died and he gets mm-hmm. captured and becomes a slave for like the demon lords and stuff. So she betrays them. And she gives this like the stone to time travel to that ma- to that character. So in that timeline, you kind of find out that you know there's this badass knight that always comes in and saves your day all the time. That's actually you from the future. And in the second timeline, or like think of it as a new game plus, you play as the future version of you, and that's when you get the correct timeline and how you get the actual true ending or something, something like that. This story sounds insane. <laughs> yeah, I better say like that 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 sort of like manipulation of what New Game Plus means and what it can incorporate or or whatever is not so novel now. But for a game that originally released in 1994, that's that's pretty out there. 
Yeah, but apparently there was also a sequel too, because when you beat the game, it says to be continued, but the game didn't really sell. So, because apparently during that time, people were not focused on, uh, you know, like visual novels back in those days. They didn't really care about having gameplay. They cared more about the dating elements. So mm-hmm. they didn't really sell at that time. So in the end, there was no sequel. So we don't know what this to be continued is supposed to go for. So, so you're saying you want to res- you are publicly announcing right now that you single-handedly are resurrecting the Dragon Knight series. Just tell them to start Kickstarter. Anything. It works. I mean, yeah. Valve came back. They have... They have a Kickstarter. Uh, only the creators probably blew in F- NFTs or something. <laughs> are, you gonna, yeah. are you gonna go back and play any of the other uh, games in the series? Uh, apparently, the older games are not that good. Uh, they were how it was designed. They were kind of like SMT games. They're like first-person dungeons, and every time you encounter enemy, it has like a was it like the enemies that you will see them in front of you with like six action commands that are laid horizontally, like a SMT game, like a classic SMT game. So that's what the old games look like, but I would never like, touch like it. Like Persona because... Three? No, it's not like Persona I'm, Three. I'm, 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 I'm being silly. I'm being dumb. Ignore but me. it's like a first-person view, you know. Probably no mm. one's referring to. And those games, I say they're unplayable. I can't. I can't play those kind of games. The two ancient, I would call it. Oh, oh. the archaic argument. Yeah. yeah, sometimes sometimes that ends up just being unfortunately true. So you're just like 1994 is my cutoff. I don't, uh, mm-hmm. Anything beyond before that is just it's just too old. But... No, I, I I can't get into like those first person dungeons yeah, from those yeah. those ancient times. It. No, ancient I mean time. I mean speaking of which, <laughs> I was born in ancient times. like play like, like old wizard reviews or anything. It's just too much. <laughs> my experience with misery is that you die in the first couple minutes. It's like, what the fuck is this? Yep, and then you have to go fucking read up like a fucking encyclopedia of like, okay, what the fuck did I do wrong? It's like, oh, you, you, you're stupid. You, you decided to like take a step in the in the wrong direction. You fool. Like, oh. You didn't actually have your party spec like this for this part uh, in, the, in the first five minutes of the game. You fool. <laughs> and what was it? Like, one of the games, there was like a, like a puzzle you had to solve and you had to like draw like a star. <laughs> <laughs> or something with a map. Yeah, probably, yeah. <laughs> trying to figure that out in first-person yeah, mode. It's like, good luck. Uh, uh, yeah, that's that's uh, that's it for this thing. I mean, maybe mm-hmm. we might see a kickstart in the future. Who knows? If I mean, you are listening to this right now and you are one of the chosen few who have played Dragon Knight Four in your lifetime, let us know. <laughs> what do you think? Who who knew that Dragon Knight Four would get time on a on a video game podcast in 2022? Yeah, this 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 is what you provide to the world. This is this is your calling. Okay. And then the last game that we have listed here is a game that we did talk about uh, had a recent release on previous episodes of the podcast, and that is a game that's been in the news for a few different reasons. Tower of Fantasy. Have we had anyone go hands on on this game before this week, or is this the first time? No, I think it's the first time. This th- right. we were offered it, but no one wanted to take it up. Oh, I see. Being honest, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. And I, and I was like, and then when it finally released, I was like, okay, some friends might be giving this a shot, so I guess I'll give it a shot for like briefly. So I played it for like several hours. I have to, I'll be upfront and say I played for several hours, and then the next day, and I was thinking about booting it up again. I was like, I'll just uninstall it instead because I don't want to play this. <laughs> so you have it uninstalled right now. I have it uninstalled right now. Right. I, I only gave Same. it a shot guess for what? that Me one too. night. I have oh, never installed wow, this crazy. game. <laughs> that's crazy. You have so much in common. How, how was uh, your how was your your one day experience with with Tower of Fantasy? So Tower of Fantasy, uh, you know, people uh, the, r- rightfully they look at this game and they're like, "Hey, they just they're just knocking off Genshin Impact." And 
like they're they're you know they're probably you're, you're pretty right in doing this right because i i'm sure like the concept of this game like i don't think it really would have formed without genshin impact for sure because i remember when genshin impact well like when it first released like the trailers coming out for it remember the whole breath of the wild debacles like this game is just a breath of the wild spin-off and the way they marketed it definitely wanted you to evoke those feelings but when you actually played genshin it's pretty different from uh, breath of the wild um but tower of fantasy i had had almost forgotten about the whole hoopla about these this this publisher or this developer mihoyo who who the hell are they they're 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 stealing from nintendo this is just a breath of the wild knockoff i mean then you know impact has stolen animations from near automata so. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Mahoyo, like, yeah, Mahoyo is like not, you know, like completely innocent as well. Like, they they do like take ideas and make it their own. Like with Honkai, you do have like some near automata animations. You do have like the witch type mechanic from um, Bayonetta in there. So like they definitely take ideas that have been presented in other games to kind of try to make it their own. Tower of Fantasy is I forgot. I know Level Infinite is publishing it. I forgot who's developing it off the top of my head. Um, but I, studio, yes, and then the, this is like an actual like true MMORPG. It's not it's not like Genshin where it's like it's mostly a single player game with like a little bit of multiplayer uh, aspects to it. This one's like there's a there's a shared world um, where like you can see people like roaming around when you're like doing uh, uh, quests and so forth. So uh, the like as any MMO launch, this was like a freaking hot mess when it came to the server situation. Um, I was uh, able to like get into one pretty quickly and like you know made my character. The character creation is actually pretty robust in the uh, in this game. Like I, I'll praise it for like its character creation. Like uh, there's a lot of like options for both uh, a male and female uh, character in it, and the, especially like hairstyles uh, and so forth. So like that's pretty cool. Um, you go into it and it has like that whole um, sort of a similar Genshin setup where. You know, there's like these two characters. You don't know they're siblings. They look like siblings, but they're running away from this thing. And then, like at this big moment in the cutscene, you choose like do you pick the male or the female uh, uh, character on this sort of like in Genshin. And then you you pick one, and then you go through this tutorial section. And then shortly after, you can like adopt like your character creation settings out of this one because like at the end of this like initial section, like your character basically like. Um, it's like in a, I don't know if it's like a life-threatening situation or whatever, but like they get their memory wiped. So yeah, you have like an amnesia char- uh, main character. They they they're not completely silent. They actually do have voice lines uh, with uh, with the other NPCs that they interact with. But you start like in this like sort of like small village, and it's like a uh, it's kind of the best way I could uh, say uh, the best way I could describe it is like it's kind of like a sci-fi theme Genshin. Um, there's a lot more sci-fi elements in it, while Genshin leans more to the fantasy aspect. Uh, of things so uh you're going through all these tutorials you get like your character preset appearances uh on your onto your main character and it's 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 like genshin is very much about deliberate like get slow movement while uh, tower fantasy is sort of like we want to we want to like one up genshin like in its uh movement and uh combat mechanics i do agree that like Tower of Fantasy does have like more interesting movement and uh, combat mechanics going on than Genshin, but I think like the actual world itself is a lot more less interesting to explore than Genshin, which is like a big part of like you know like the allure of these games uh, for me. So like this one's weird. So in this in this game, um, you get like a, a jetpack, 
uh, very early on. And the jetpack, uh, uh, you can use it like jump up uh, very high there, and then you glide with it. Um, and it consumes like a, like a like a its its own um, like your stamina meter as you as you're gliding, gliding through the air. And you do take fall damage. You have to make sure. Man, that, I can't like, I can't believe I can't believe they're taking inspiration from Elex of all things. Yeah, that's it. The, 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 they copied Elex. Can't believe it. Totally, it's Elex invented jetpacks. Yeah, yeah. And then you also have like the grip meter, like from from, from Genshin and Zelda when you're climbing up surfaces uh, and so forth. Um, combat is very much like more combo area oriented than Genshin. It's it's not like Genshin where it's like about like hey, um, your character like inflicts like a character element uh, or uh, element on this, and then you switch to another character. And that's that's like your main DPS character. This one is very much about like switching in between different weapons. So like instead of switching in between different characters, you're switching in between different weapons. Um, so like yeah, like at first you have like a sword, and then like you have a spear and a bow, and like these can come like in like uh, same element or different elements, and like and then you get like bonuses like if you like like a meter charge before you uh, switch into them, and then they'll do like a flashy attack when that meter is charged when they, when you switch to them, um, and then they're like uh, they all have like uh, pretty different move sets like the the sword that you start off with has like a like it has a standard flashy standard attack string. But then you can also like hold down like the left button, uh, left click to launch them into the air, and then like go after them and then continue like the uh, air juggling them, and then like and then you can do like a like a helm breaker or like a or some sort of a falling down attack, uh, in it. So it's uh, it's like it's pretty easy to like do them. It's just like very much just like left clicks and then holding down the left click, and so forth. And then they also have like a, a dodge button, where like at any time during the combo you can just like uh, go into a dodge right away and like the dodge it's uh, the dodge meter itself has like its own meter where it has like three different charges so you can't just like keep on spamming dodge you have to you can like immediately spend three uh right away and then you have to wait for that meter to um refill and, and um it's just i'd say it's very just rough around the edges like in terms of like the way it it kind of just presents itself to be honest like as, as you're playing through the game going through these tutorials you eventually get like you know introduced to the gacha, and the gacha is weird because they kind of give like an in-game world explanation of like why you uh, like you can like obtain these weapons and like these weapons have like the the souls and minds of like the heroes that have them, and then like at any time like if you don't like you're you're really gaching for weapons, but these weapons like these SR and SSR weapons have like their own hero attached to them, and so. You can you can switch your your character appearance to like the appearance of that hero, but that's that's completely separate from like the weapon themselves. If you just want to stick with like your base main character appearance because you like how they appear, you can just equip the weapon without having to equip, like take out the appearance of the character, and that makes sense. So uh, like, it makes some sense, but like when you're pulling uh, the banner or the, the the one roll, the ten roll, are are you getting characters or are you getting weapons, or are they like you linked are, together? They're linked together. So, like, let's say, like, the banner is like for a character that has like a spear. Um, when you uh, when you roll the spear, you do get the weapon, but then along with that weapon, the, you get the character appearance that you could that you can optionally change to that character appearance if you want to, or you can just like equip the spear onto like your base character, and because you, you don't want to take on their appearance. So, really, it's more about the weapons more so than like the appearance of the heroes that come along with them. So. There's no like downside of always ha of like, there's no stat shift taking on the appearance of the hero 
it's all mainly about the weapons. Um, so that's kind of like the 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 weird, uh, neat thing about it, where like you're not like forced to adopt another appearance. Um, if you just want to like, if you enjoyed like your character's appearance, you can always play as them, and then they, they're the ones switching in between the weapons. If that makes sense. Yeah, it's, it's, it, yeah. It just me. Yeah. It just makes me wonder, like, uh, how how does the game handle whether you're playing as a default player character or uh, a pulled character? Like, is it is it just treated like a costume, or is it treated more like narratively you are that character? No, you you're you're always narratively just like your main character. They never uh, consider that like you know you're the, the hero appearance. So it's, kind of so it's purely like cosmetic. Yeah, it's purely cosmetic on that end. Um. And it does like that weird thing, and Chao, you'll you'll be you'll understand when I say this, but it does have different gacha currencies. There's like your standard, oh. your, your, yeah, like your standard gacha currency for like your your uh, your the characters that are like permanent in the game, and then they have limited banners, which take a different gacha currency that's much more. It's difficult to obtain. You can like convert like a universal currency that they give you into this these multiple currencies but mainly you want to use this universal currency that they give you it's kind of like a black ore fragment that you could convert primarily like the main use for the community is to convert it to like this red nucleus Uh, and then that's the currency that you need to roll unlimited banners because those have like really good characters and they're only there for a limited time um and there's like a a, like a pity of like of 80 rolls uh, for the minute, th- I think that that pity like carries over in between. I think I'm not too that exactly sure on that end, but you know, if you want, if you're like, if you have like all this uh gold nucleus for like the standard banner, you cannot use like the gold nucleus that they hand out like for pretty much like candy. Can you cannot use that on the limited banner because that uses red nucleus, not gold nucleus, for example. So that's that's. We've seen that in Genshin. I mean, you need to use the limited currency in order to roll the good stuff. <laughs> yeah, regular, yeah, yeah. Regular junk shit. You had that in Epic Seven as well. Um, yep. Yep. So, but uh, the rare currency is super hard to get in Epic Seven. Yeah. yeah so that, it does have that uh, sort of thing, and you know, the, the the rates are pretty low to roll them, but they're the, the, in this game. It has a weird thing where, like, I I don't know if it's like your first thirty rolls or if it's just like or if it's forever, but. In your first 30 rolls, there's like a hidden SSR guarantee. So like within 30 rolls, you will get an SSR. It's just never that that info is never explained to you up front. It's just like it was just found out by the community that like, hey, within your first 30 rolls, there's like a hidden SSR pity uh there. But then that, I think that's like, a, that's like a one-time thing, if I remember correctly. Um yeah, and, I can and, see how that works. They probably it's like they don't want people to keep re-rolling to make a character, but by having that, they'll be oh, I got SSR, and you see how rare that is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and uh, so I think one of the most bizarre things in this game is that its content is time gated from the from, from the moment your account is made. So basically, when you start a character, you have like a set level cap of eighteen, and then you have to wait for the next day to roll over to like expand that level cap. And then there's like a certain amount of like treasure chests you can like um, pick up in a day or open in a day. And then you will see like time gated treasure chests that like, hey, I fought to get to this treasure chest. And then you'll see like, oh, there's like a timer of like 18 hours left till you can like open this treasure chest because you're time gated because they don't want people to like get too far ahead or something 
it's just such a bizarre thing. And so like it even gives it disincentivizes you to like to like explore the the game even more because you're like, what's the point of doing it if everything's time gated? Man, that's so uh, dumb. I feel like they're trying to copy the opposite of Genshin where people were exploring the content too fast, so let's time gate them, okay? Yeah, it's it's very weird. Is um, it like you can you can uh circumvent the time gate with currency in any way, or is it literally just no. No, you stamina in, so, in a in a new weird way. You can you, you just you just have to you just have to wait wait it out to like the next login basically. Hmm. Um, so yeah, that it's kind of a weird thing. Um, and you know, I only played a little bit of it. Like uh, like the 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 initial story setup is kind of like they kind of they kind of tried to have like a heartfelt story between like this character named Zeke uh, looking over like his uh uh like his family member Shirley like the only exa- there's the only family that they have left. Some things happen to the village and the colony where, like, it kind of leaves to Shirley in like the life-threatening situation. So Zeke has to like make basically with a deal with the devil um, to kind of save his sister uh, from her life-threatening situation because she gets afflicted like in an illness that like no one thinks is like you can't like heal her at all. It's like a, a known illness that like you can't that you can't heal or cure. But like this organization is like, no, we'll make sure that like she'll she'll live through it. Though, like you know, but obviously it'll come at a cost later. Like you'll find out. But it's just you know, it's kind of it's kind of whatever. And uh, I think I think the localization is pretty messy. On top of that, too, it's a lot of like weird line breaks, a lot of weird, oh, like um, awkwardly phrased things. The the voice acting is like okay. Like I play play on English voice acting. I don't know if you can even switch Japanese uh, on the English client. But like it just there's just a lot about it. That just didn't hold my interest. Um, I got up to the part where you could like get a vehicle, and I'm like, I, I don't know, I don't care at this point, really. <laughs> so it was interesting. Like, just I just wanted to see, like, hey, like, how does this differ from Genshin? It's definitely like a, a game inspired by Genshin Impact. I just wanted to see, like, hey, the, this has been a lot of people have been talking about this for quite a while. Let me give it a shot, and I did. I was like, this isn't for me. It isn't really interesting, and. Yeah, I th- I I th- I spent way less time with it than I did with Genshin. I, th- I just think Genshin, yeah, Genshin has its faults for sure, but it's a, it is a more interesting game to explore and roam around in. So much well, for thanks. Genshin killer. <laughs> yeah, thanks for being brave enough to uh, dive into Tower of Fantasy and see what, what it was all about. Yeah, brave enough. I I, I did. I survived Tower of Fantasy. Mm-hmm. I think for the last few days on RPGSite.net, I've been getting a lot of Tower of Fantasy ads. So that's been my major, my main exposure to it. It's just that it's being marketed uh, quite heavily. And that kind of covers us for the games we've been playing. So kind of a bit of a hodgepodge. Uh, I've got that demo installed that I'm hopefully going to find time to peel away from Xenoblade 3 and get to. Uh, We have the update for Monster Hunter that I want to get to as well. And next week, we should have free reign to talk about Soul Hackers. If not next week, then certainly by the week after. Uh, Before we go into news topics, uh, there is one feature up on the site that I want to just do a quick shout out to. Uh, If you listen to the podcast, I believe two weeks ago, James kind of surprised all of us with the initial impressions for the Stranger of Paradise DLC, which was called, uh, what was it called? Like Trials of the Dragon King. Yeah, something King. Yeah, the Trials of the Dragon King DLC. And we kind of learned collectively as a group during that podcast in real time how it was uh, 
framed and how it was organized and incorporated into the game and how it was kind of very limited to high-level play that you had to really grind your way up for. And uh, James, who basically spearheaded that discussion, wrote up his thoughts into an opinion piece, an opinion piece that he put up onto RPGSite.net. So if you listen to that episode of the podcast, you've already heard about not just his take, but a kind of a communal community take on why the way the DLC for Stranger of Paradise was implemented was so frustrating. But now we've also got that in written form up on the site. Uh, Stranger of Paradise's DLC is a lesson not how not to di- design DLC for your game. As we go into the news here, uh, I tried to organize this in some fashion that would make some sort of like sense in terms of organizing it either like chronologically or by publisher uh it ends up being a little bit of a hodgepodge so we'll just kind of go through this in the order that they're listed uh some of these are just new trailers some of these are uh updates for existing games uh we start out here the first thing i've listed is that we had the thq 2022 showcase in the last week and thq isn't a huge publisher for us in terms of games coverage but there was a few uh that they put out some updates on that we have been covering on the site, at least at a limited basis. So we figured we'd go ahead and cover them here. The main one, especially for those uh, that have oh, been playing hold RPGs. On, hold on. Before, before, before you go into it, I just want to like note, because this has to be said, because uh, Adam and I have been talking about this and laughing about this, but THQ Nordic has been like hyping up this event for how many months, Adam? See, when they announced it, they announced it a long time ago, like four <laughs> months like, in advance, which is very weird. <laughs> yeah. Let's see. It, like they announced it like well before several of the other like summer yeah it was before like the e3 stuff even uh was announced mm-hmm. and it was like a, like a get hype for in, in <laughs> like august we're coming back announced it on april 6th oh my god jesus christ yep on in, in early april they're like we're having a showcase in late august or mid-august okay like, all right sure so this this has been uh many months of the making this is it and I, what I didn't, I, I did not watch the showcase. I don't know what like the headliner for it was, but the main one for our purposes is they gave us a look at the upcoming Gothic One remake, which Gothic is a cult classic game that I think came out in the early two thousands, developed by Piranha Bytes, that has uh, like a very dedicated following that a lot of people think it was like a really like a. a I have not played it, but I've played some of the later games from Piranha Bytes uh, that had like a really like robust rpg implementation emergent storytelling meaningful choices so the idea of a remake and this game i think had a like a limited time demo it was either last year or potentially i think they called it a prototype i think it might have been 2019 it was a couple years gotcha um and i recall that people had a terrible like impression of the demo in general not in every case universally but it was not well received and so this is our first real look at the Gothic remake in quite a while. And so they gave us a new trailer, the Showcase trailer 2022 for the Gothic 1 remake. And as someone who has not played Gothic but has heard good things about it, I kind of was interested in this. This trailer is about two minutes of a fly-through of a cave that is a mine being worked on. And it's dark. It's poorly lit. It's almost framed as if it's like a technical showcase like a like an engine demo only it's it's not like the visual quality it's fine it's not bad but it's not like there's not enough okay it is not inherently interesting (laughs) yeah there's not enough on the visual front alone and like there's no like 
new lighting techniques or particle effects to make it like wow this is it just it's just a fly through of a cave being worked on and at the very end they show some spiders like some large like very rpg prototypical early game baddies so i don't know like it just seems interesting that this is what they say is the like the this showcase is trailer. Yeah, right. this is so weird that like this is all that they really showed. Like, pe- like people have been waiting for this for quite a long time now, and it's just okay. That's that's all you have to show. Not even like a not even like a release window, like to accompany it or anything. It's just like, yeah, it's still being worked on. It's like, all right, I guess. Like, yeah, I, I don't think, the whole we, I don't think we mentioned like, this. It's being developed by a new studio. Insane. Yeah. It's like. Oh, it's like Alchemia or something. Alchemy, yeah, Alchemy Interactive. I think they're from Barcelona, I believe. And so, so, so this is so there is no pedigree, basically. Yeah, so yeah. There's just a, just a complete question mark on how this will end up. Hopefully, it turns out well. You know, um, best of luck. But obviously, the, the this will take a lot more time. And I think I think they should like surface this when they're actually like ready to like show like substantial gameplay and like. And like a release window at the very least. Um, I'm just now reading yeah. the press release, or I don't know if this was the press release or just the dis- or just the description underneath the YouTube upload. But some of the stuff that they have listed as features is like the most boilerplate stuff that doesn't detail much of anything. It says full yeah, faithful the, remake of the original Gothic one. It's like okay, yeah, I, the, I, presu- I presume I presume that. Oh, yeah, the Steam description. Yep. Yeah. So, <laughs> Modernized combat just... system that takes the basic premise of the original to the modern age. Like okay, okay right. I trust you. Like very I, specific. I, I, <laughs> it, 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 it was like the, the most the, like, it, like amusing thing that come, came out of this was like one of the like, quote retweet comments on our social media saying man my grandpa would have loved this I'm like yep yep it's Rest not like it's a bad showing it's just that it's like this. it's not worth a showcase it's just like okay the game's in development that's fine games take a long time to make that's also fine like I don't, like, I don't know like this doesn't do a whole lot to like drum up excitement other than just remind you, oh yeah, that's being worked on. Maybe which maybe is enough. I don't know. I'm trying not to be I'm trying not to be too cynical, but I'm finding it kind of difficult to be honest. I just, like, I just think they just need to like show something substantial next time. This can't be a thing where they're like, hey, we have a new update on Gothic one remake, and it's like a two minutes of like um demo flight, like like demo engine walkthrough. It's like okay. Be- 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 before the podcast, Adam was like, I watched this on my phone and I couldn't see shit. <laughs> that yep. was kind of like that's gonna be my impression of this trailer from now on. Uh so yeah, Gothic One remake still being worked on. No other details really at all. Uh we have the trailer up on the site if you're interested in watching this cave fly through. Um there are a few other things uh that were shown in the THQ twenty twenty two showcase. One of them was for a smaller title called The Valiant which is a real-time strategy game with RPG elements, I believe. Uh, based on your description of this, Josh, as you cover the news story for this, you seem to suggest that this one was also quite threadbare in terms of like what they showed here. Yeah, yeah. A, a lot of the things that teach you Nordic was just like, hey, here's a trailer, a small trailer for like a game, and then like without really much detail on it. So like another, another just small trailer for uh, this game. This was announced... Back in May, uh, developed by Kite Games. Um, it's you know, it, it it looks neat. You know, it uh, like the snow, the snow environment in the trailer does look nice, and then they showed off some of the uh, multiplayer this is modes. A, uh, this is a uh, a game that takes place in the Middle Ages during the Fifth Crusade. Yeah, so it's it's not a not not a big update. Uh, same with the Jagged Alliance Three uh, uh, game that we're also gonna cover. Uh, just another another thing that's like, yep, it's another trailer. Okay. 
which is fine just to have that, but it's just interesting yeah. that with the, the with the amount of hype and pomp and circumstance that they put around the showcase, that these could have just been dropped anywhere. Yeah, I think I think the like, main the the main things uh, from like the THU showcase, like the ones that really caught eyes, was like, hey, they're rebooting Alone in the Dark. It's going to be like a new original thing with some like uh, veteran developers, some new. So you know that that's kind of the thing, and also a new SpongeBob game. There's like a totally new entry in the SpongeBob. It's like it's not like a remake or a remaster of an old SpongeBob game. It's like an entirely new one. Um, those were kind of like the big, big, big um, announcements, I guess, th- that people were looking any, for. Any chance we can cool. cover the SpongeBob game? Um, go, Might go be more interested in RPG. <laughs> <laughs> Anything is an RPG if you put your mind to it. Yeah, I mean that's that's not wrong. But yeah, so we got we got trailers for Gothic One remake, The Valiant, and Jagged Alliance. Uh, three um, very kind of incremental updates on those games. They're still being worked on. And the, the, I want to say those games still have the potential to be fine. It's just that these updates are very kind of piecemeal and threadbare. So it's like, oh, okay. not something you, you say uh, in April, be like, be ready for our <laughs> showcase in late August back in April. It's like, all right, <laughs> cool. <laughs> all right. Changing hands pretty much entirely. Uh, we're going to go back to, uh, we talked, maybe, maybe this should have let off our, uh, our new section, another Square Enix title that is being published for later this year, and that is uh, Dragon Quest Treasures, which we recently learned is being uh, released on December 9th. There was an updated blog post on uh, Square Enix's website about the the gameplay mechanics and the like, the playthrough strategies for this game, and basically how it works and how it how it is conducted as you go through. So this doesn't actually have a trailer accompanying it, but goes through a lot of the the systems of the games, if you've never played a Dragon Quest Monsters game. It also revealed the box art for the game, which uh, I've seen described as like one of the best ever. And it's really quite good. I, I don't know how to really describe it. Just go, you can see this news article up on the site and we'll have a box art attached to it. It's quite charming. Uh, the game in general just seems quite charming. Uh, so I don't know if there's really anything that we should dive into specifically here. But basically, uh, Eric and Mia will be have a starter island then they will venture out onto i believe five other islands to retrieve treasure they'll have different monster companions that will help them seek it out then they bring it back to appraise it and it kind of seems like this uh is the general kind of gameplay loop for the game about uh coming back and having this appraisal mechanic and seeking out uh different monsters that will help you acquire treasure more fix more efficiently and higher rarities and things like that uh i don't know if this is kind of Go ahead. I think this is like a, a lovely step-by-step breakdown I, uh, uh, of the game. I really enjoyed it a lot. I like the, I just like the general vibe that the game uh, gives off, especially like some of the, like the more creative terms they use. Like when you select an island, you can see like golden ratio, which will uh, let you know like whether your uh, the suitability of finding treasure there. It's like I don't know why they call it golden ratio, but that's that's fun and exciting, and then, like in the way that they present it. Like a big ass number is like, yes, let's go to that island. I like the golden ratio of that island, and I, I especially love um, once you like uh, when you're trying to find like uh, treasure, like rare treasures, you have to like triangulate its position from like the 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 through the viewpoint of like your of your monster party, and like the 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 vision that they have is like very dependent on the party. So like one of the vision is like you have like this uh, aerial. Uh, creature with you and like its vision is like just cracked out like totally fucked up warped vision of like I guess I can kind of see a treasure the, the treasure of where it's at from the air but like the viewpoint of it is just like so warped and so like oh yeah it's like, like a weird it's like a weird fisheye lens yeah it's like is this bird okay <laughs> <You know? laughs> are his eyes like, all right 
Yeah, and then like yeah, like a, the the um the restless armor's vision, like it's like you know he's wearing like a big ass knight helmet, so like there's like big bars in between his vision, like you know it, that that's really fun to like kind of mess around with and a really creative way to like find treasure, you know, like like you know finding treasure isn't like on it by itself like the most exciting thing in the world, but we add on like really cool fun mechanics to like make the act of finding it fun and exciting, like that's really. That that's that's hard and something special, you know. I I really ha- I'm really rooting for this game. Like the more I see about like how the gameplay loop is in this game, how you like interact with your monsters to like find them, it's like it's so cool. And I guess so, a lot of the like the charm of the game and a lot of like the vibe that they're going for is exemplified by the fact that both of the protagonists are existing protagonists that obviously were present in Dragon Quest XI, but as children. And it's just got a, a really colful art style, really charming, really easily approachable. Yeah, yeah. Um, just, just I don't just know. Just, just, just fun time. So we uh, we have this up on the site, uh, just linking to the blog post, and it's yeah, it's basically just like a picture by picture walkthrough, uh, separated into f- I think three or four main sections about uh, how how the game play how the gameplay loop works. Which is since this is kind of like not an existing sub IP in the Dragon Quest. Uh, IP in general, it it kind of is a, a value add to kind of describe it in this way. It is interesting that like when when you first see like the first picture of like the like the story premise of this game, it's it, it does you, it cannot but imagine it's like oh they definitely took cues from like the first Xenoblade and it's like world design and world premise. Like uh, it's kind of it's it's kind of weird how they did that because like you do like visit locales on like the back of like these like kind of dragon skeletons. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that. That's a fun, neat little thing. Whether they decided to do it deliberately or not, uh, from being inspired by Xenoblade, well, that's cool. And you know, mm-hmm. I guess the like the like the 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 quote unquote main news out of this is like, hey, physical digital pre-orders for the game are now up. You know, yeah, and you get it. and you get some extra items if you pre-order. Yeah. So details are up on the news post. Uh, even though we talked about this last week, uh, that that is the early September release of. Uh, made in abyss binary star falling into darkness we talked a little bit about the i believe it's the uh into abyss mode and the notebook mechanic it was kind of not a whole lot it was just like some incremental details but uh this week we got an overview trailer for the game pretty lengthy one three minutes long so this kind of goes into just the game in general kind of very similar to the dragon quest treasures update only this one has a trailer accompanying it as well rather than a step-by-step picture guide uh so a lot of the things here are kind of uh dungeon crawlery or roguelike in nature it talks a little bit about combat uh when i was watching through this trailer um the two things that i immediately like had to blurt out as i was watching it in chat is oh your weapons can break in this game that always goes over well uh and then also uh not surprising for anyone who has any like understanding of the ip or has even been introduced to the ip through others like i have i don't know much about this other than other people describing it to me is that this uh trailer at about the two minute mark gets quite bleak and pretty dark pretty quickly so it kind of belies the game's cute exterior aesthetic but it's sort of one of the things that just based on the title it shouldn't be too much of a surprise uh it talks a little bit about the different weapon types about weapon durability um about primeval creatures that hang out in the depths uh about how like some of the game progression works about how you can like upgrade your gear to progress even further or improve your capability so it's a nice three minute trailer that is kind of what do you do in this game well this trailer kind of answers that yeah, I think I think it's uh probably the best trailer for the game that they've released so far because it actually just like lets you like soak up like okay, this is the gameplay loop of the trailer. So like you know it's very uh, much like in the spirit of Made in Abyss because the premise is like hey, there's these cave raiders that usually want to travel down this 
really 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 dangerous region to like get uh get relics and like become like strike it rich pretty much so in this game you know um every time you dive into the abyss like the location of like enemies and relics are always switched up so you never know what, really what to uh expect when you like uh, visit a region or revisit a region um and then like the primary way you earn experience is obtaining relics successfully back to the surface and if you die in the abyss with them they'll they're, they're lost forever you have to go find them again so there's like there's very big risk and reward mechanic uh beneath it all you get a, a look at the skill tree and just uh in general like hey like uh, as you progress th through levels through the game you know like uh, a big thing about the made in abyss lore and series is like um there's like these whistles and like these whistles come in various like uh colors that kind of depict like the prestige of like cave raider do you are or like white whistles are like the like the, be the the best of the best like most most experienced uh cave raider uh you can be um so and then so like see, seeing that uh uh, being reflected here like hey as you progress through whistles you'll get you'll get access to further depths of the abyss because you're you're now at a certain like prestige of uh, experienced cave raider that now you can take these on and it makes me wonder like how far in the series they're going to take it obviously it probably won't go to like the very very end because the manga or like the source material hasn't even ended but like it 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 very much it seems like to be um uh, at least it'll go up to the very end of like the third movie of Made in Abyss, which is like a a high point for a lot of people who uh, have uh, watched and uh, read it. So, you know, I for I, people like me who haven't watched or read it, like the yeah. the character art style, I don't love, but I do really like the monster design in general. It's like it fits the aesthetic of the game. It it feels like it belongs, but they're like really kind of grotesque and creepy. Or not all of them are, but many are, and other ones still look like they really fit. I don't know. Yeah, I think, I think the character, think the character okay. design is an acquired taste, but the monster design I think looks really nice. Yeah, I think that's a big allure of the of the uh, source material is like as like you they traverse more and more down like monsters and monster design just like become really really uh not not always grotesque but certainly gets more disturbing as, as the, the further they go down it's like and they also like the the author is very and the illustrator are very particular like like how detailed they go into like how like the the anatomy of like monsters work and how they like sustain themselves and like what and like as they uh, uh as the main characters go further and further down they like experience like like month like cultures of monsters of like how how do they thrive down here and it's like it's it gets super fucked up i'm not even gonna lie it gets super <laughs> fucked up but that's sort of like the the weird allure for, for the series for me it's like it, you know it's it's kind of you don't see much uh, of that in media these days i'd say so it, it, it's done in a way that's done tastefully but borderline like traumatizing <laughs> Yep, and that's scheduled for release, I believe, September second. So not yeah. too, you know, within a month. I don't, I don't have, I, I can't envision this being like something that'll be surprising a lot of people. But I think it might be something that it's, you know, worth keeping an eye on in terms of it might actually have uh, some solid foundation behind it and being uh, kind of an interesting thing that no one expected. Yeah, maybe. We did have one game announcement, or at least one game announcement, in the last week, and this one has really a fun premise. Uh, this is an indie uh, open world RPG called Soccer Story. Now, before I say anything else, I'm just going to read like the first two short paragraphs from the press release. 
And it's basically, it's been a year since the calamity tore apart the very foundations of soccer as we know it. Since then, Soccer Inc. has made dang well sure that not a soul has been allowed to even look at a soccer ball. A magical football has now chosen you, the savior of soccer, and you've been tasked with saving the future of the sport and bringing harmony to the world once more. This so is just, this, is, this is just Barkley Shut Up and Jam Gain, but soccer. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> like, uh, legitimately, this is just that. <laughs> not wrong. So, they, uh, so this is a, a new game that has been uh, announced by publisher No More Robots, who worked on Descenders and Hypnospace Outlaw. The developer is Panic Barn, who has worked on a series called Not Tonight, which I'm not familiar with. Uh, I think this is like n neither of these groups are known for working on RPGs. This is uh, an indie game with a pixel art style, uh, and it's described as a comedy open world RPG, which you can kind of tell just by the way the the press release is phrased uh, about soccer and your magic trusty magic soccer ball scheduled to come out this year uh we have an announcement trailer that is uh goes over like obviously it showcases the art style and some of the gameplay elements and things like that um it does also have like a four player match mode so it kind of incorporate it's not a soccer game explicitly it's an rpg about soccer but it incorporates like some soccer like mechanics in kind of an interesting way uh and adam was actually asking about this like is it soccer or is it football? Apparently, based on the trailer, they kind of call it both. Uh, so they kind of they go both ways on that. I don't know. It looks fun. It looks charming. Like it? ever since I moved to like in Canada, they call it soccer. You know, when I was in China, they call it football. You know, you kick a ball with your foot. Why is why is football something else when you get here? <laughs> you know? Well, welcome to North America. I'm sorry. <laughs> Yeah, but yeah. Uh, this look, this looks really fun. Uh, there is a like a brief shot in the trailer that shows that it kind of parodies other RPGs, where it has like a, a UI that looks like very classic Final Fantasy ATV uh, menus as well. Uh, there's this is obviously just Berkeley Sam <laughs> Gaiden. God. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, it's uh, it's scheduled to, to release uh, on Xbox Game Pass, Switch, PlayStation, even Stadia, and also a PC launch as well. Uh, at some point this year, it looks really charming. We've got the trailer up. We've got some screenshots. Uh, it, I don't know, a fun, a fun game that I think you know, just could be just really endearing, just by being uh, an interesting take on something that isn't derivative of really anything else, except maybe Barkley Shut Up and Jam. Yeah, I just uh, I, I like the sports themed RPGs. Like I, I, I played Dodgeball Academy. You, know, you did like, right, uh, yeah, uh, not, not not too long ago. And like I, I think there's just. And there's always something fun about like how you implement RPG systems into like a sport. I was going to ask: Has anyone played Golf Story for the Switch? I did not yet. I I, I haven't been able to get around to it. I, I heard it's uh, it's pretty cool. But wow. I haven't been able to get around it's time to, to it. give uh, uh, sport RPGs a shot, I guess. Yeah, go for it. The next two news posts that we have are are about. I'll just not bury the lead. We have updates for Final Fantasy fourteen and Genshin Impact. So both of these have an upcoming major patch for Final Fantasy XIV. It is patch 6.2. For Genshin Impact, it is version 3.0. And luckily, we have cast members who are on the up and up for both of these games. Uh, we'll start with Final Fantasy XIV. So there was a live letter that went over the upcoming patch 6.2 titled Buried Memory, which is releasing on August 23rd. And uh, James is our resident Final Fantasy XIV expert, so we're going to hand it off to him, just kind of at a high level, talk about, for those of us who aren't up to date on Final Fantasy XIV, uh, what we're looking forward to about Buried Memory, and kind of like what are the major highlights of this live letter that went over the uh, the upcoming update for the game. Well, okay, so generally with Final Fantasy XIV, it's pretty easy to guess what sort of content's going to be added with an update. 
Odd number updates add in alliance raids and I guess now ultimates, uh, not all the time, but sometimes. And even updates and expansion launches are for like regular raids and uh, that's basic, basically it. In, in addition to MSQ and trials, MSQ being like main story, like every patch will obviously come with some more story for players to go through like four or five hours, something like that. And then you'll get trials, which are the eight man fights. Um, generally, every patch has at least one. So in this case, um, we are getting a new trial as well as the extreme for it on the same patch. We don't know who it's going to be for the trial yet because they is that is that typical secret. that you get the extreme with this at the same time, or does the extreme sometimes come in later? Uh, that's typical, except for the expansion launch. For example, with Endwalker, we had the extremes for the first two trials in the MSQ, but not the third trial. So the extreme for the third trial or the last trial for the expansion came with patch 6.1 mm -hmm. but generally the extremes drop at the same time as the uh, regular trial itself well uh, the expansion so, came in a little hot because it was like delayed a little like a, a few weeks right well, before no, the launch I mean, that that didn't have anything to do with it though that's oh, something okay. that they just do so gotcha um yeah so there's a number of other things that have already been detailed before. We are getting Island Sanctuaries this time around, which is a bit of a non-combat uh, piece of content. It's uh, basically kind of like Harvest Moon, but in 14, which is really interesting. I think a lot of people still aren't entirely sure what it's supposed to be like. They did detail a bit of it. They showed off how big the island itself is, which is actually gigantic. So this um, is a, a new gameplay mechanic that's that's not in the game right now. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Um, so we did get a little bit of a tease for the new raids. Uh, we did see at least one of the, the uh, fights is going to be against uh, basically a Carbuncle's messed up ancestor. There's been a lot of memes like, you know, that one image of a golden retriever next to like a werewolf like statue thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, somebody photoshopped it so the uh, golden retriever was a carbuncle and then the uh, werewolf thing was the proto carbuncle which was funny is it is um, it specifically meant to be a proto carbuncle or does it just look like yes. one? Oh, okay. yes it, i mean the name is literally proto carbuncle oh gotcha so i mean i just didn't uh, know if it was like oh this looks like a messed up carbuncle yeah so uh we got that little bit of uh information for the raid so raids this time are going to have uh, um, they heard the complaints loud and clear from N Walker's uh, first uh, set of raid fights. Uh, readability is much more important this time around. Pretty much everyone that raided said that P3S or like Pandemonium 3 Savage was a nightmare because of how orange it was to the point where pretty much everyone on PC was using a reshade like um yeah, they would turn it black and white to make the fight easier. Because this entire fight is so stupid. You're fighting a phoenix, and the whole background's on fire, and the floor is orange, and you and, cannot and see... And AoE markers in 14 are also orange. Oh, I see. So it's like, there's like, especially with tornadoes, there's, which is a mechanic, like, about three quarters through the fight, there's like, so much flames everywhere, and you have to keep, like, keep track of these AOE patterns on the floor as if you're 
if your like camera angle is wrong or like in a weird spot where sometimes you have to have it this way, you might get some of the particles from like these fire tornadoes like intersecting with everything else. And it was just God, such a fucking nightmare. Yeah, the fight is so bad. I'm not even looking at the screen. I'm looking at my mini map. I'm not even fucking paying attention to the screen. Yeah. So, so, bad. <laughs> so the number one thing that was shown off with the raid besides the protocarbuncle is that things are a lot more darker which sounds like it would be a problem, except for the fact that since AOE markers are bright and attacks are bright, it actually works out because anything that you need to see will just light up and then you'll know, oh, I don't stand there. So have they adjusted like the Phoenix fight visuals or is it still the no. way it was? No. <laughs> nope. You just got to suffer and just do it. People nowadays don't even do it. They just skip it and go to four because <laughs> four yep. is easier. You know? Mm hmm. Yep. So uh, that's all about the raids. Uh, we, obviously, the raids also have their own story. Uh, it seems like they're going to be voice acted this um, from now on, which is good. Because one thing I do remember hearing is that part of the reason why there wasn't a unique song for Phase Two of P4S, because normally, uh, so the there's a door boss for um, the final fight of a tier of raids, and door boss means that. Once you get the boss to a certain amount of HP, or if you get it and get them to an HP threshold in time, the fight itself will kind of reset and the boss itself will change. So that's why it's called a door boss. And usually the second phase of a uh, final um, like savage fight will have a different song because it's a totally unique like phase. It's not in the regular raids. And so they have a unique song to kind of designate it. We did not have that with uh, Pandemonium or uh, um, Asphodelos. We did not have that, uh, mostly because um, Sokin himself outright said on Twitter, yeah, we kind of blew the music budget on the actual MSQ. So uh, um, it's kind of weird. Yeah. So hopefully that'll be really nice in uh, this uh, set of raid fights. It, it, like we did get a little bit of a taste of a vocal theme, which might be the. Uh, the uh, phase uh, two for uh, P8S that might help. So that might be nice. Um, but yeah, not much else to say. They did say that there's some like adjustments to like how critical hits and direct hits are being calculated with certain buff actions. But that's like really going into the weeds. And unless you're raiding, it just does not matter to you. So I noticed uh, you didn't mention the story at all. Is it just because it's kind of like still ramping up on what they post? phase yeah, one it's still of ramping course. up and also we we don't we, know we like don't know how many people and then we also don't know like who's Spoilers. listening to our podcast and really high highly guarded so they don't really talk about it unless people are actively seeking out for it nope that makes sense yeah, to me and it's interesting because yoshi p has outright said that he they're designing it so that it should not be immediately clear what the next expansion is until 6.5 Whereas it was pretty clear what was going to be the next expansion as early as uh, 5.3 or 5.4. So. so we probably don't get that big CG trailer until 6.5 is approaching, I guess, instead of... Because yeah. they usually put those like big CG trailers around the 0.3 patches, usually. Well, I it? don't know, because one thing to consider is that even though Endwalker was announced around 5.4, like even the launch trailer... like. Most of what happens in Endwalker, we did not expect and wasn't really spoiled with any trailer. 
yeah, they're pretty misleading, actually, most of them. Yeah. So, who knows? They'll probably announce the next expansion about a year from now. Or no, maybe a little bit um, more like six, not six months. Be- because it would, cause if, they're on, if they're on the two-year cadence, it would be a, a late 2023 release, right? Yep. Cool. Well, what's that'll the, release uh, on... Oh, go ahead, what's, the, what's, the, what's the even an odd uh, patch cycle for... Uh... FF11. Do, do they do they have uh, trends like that for their earlier MMO? I don't think so because at this point they're basically just uh, doing small balance changes and uh, they also I think the uh, Voracious Resurgence has finished. I think. I'll double okay. check but I'm pretty sure. Okay. Uh, I don't think we talked about it at the time but it's actually really fascinating. Like a few months back or I guess maybe four months or something like that. Uh, FF11 got a major update which raised the sub level, um, well, not sub level, the uh, the subclass level limit, because for the longest time it was uh, fifty. So as a result, um, because of the way the game is designed, a lot of classes get some major abilities at level fifty one, specifically because it's like, well, we don't want them to be available to people using it as a subclass. Uh, mm-hmm. But they've raised the limit. 251 and they're continuing to raise it slowly which means that there's been a lot of changes in the end game for folks where it's like oh well maybe this class was best when the sub level well the subclass level was locked at 50 but now that even just this one level has been added means that a lot more like jobs are viable as subclasses just pretty interesting that like yeah that that this is like a major shakeup for a game that's like 700 years old at this point yep (laughs) 20. Yep, 20 this year. 20 as of uh, three months ago. But yeah, that'll release on August 23rd, specifically the um, 6.2 update to Final Fantasy 14. So I'm sure we'll hear some impressions from that from both James and Chow when they get a chance to play through it and the new, uh, the new story and the new trials that are coming out with that. And the, uh, what did you say that the non-combat uh, gameplay mechanic was called? The Island Island system? Sanctuary. I, yeah, it'll be interesting to see if that uh, has any interesting, like, uh, almost just like gameplay variety. That's something a little bit different that the game hasn't tried before. So we'll follow up on that uh, later in the month. And then as I kind of introduced earlier, uh, we also got a trailer for the upcoming Genshin Impact 3.0. Was this dated as well or no? Because we don't actually have this covered on the site. Do uh, we know pardon? when 3.0 is landing? Uh, yeah. Uh, what is it? I think it's like about two more August weeks 24. from now. August 24th, so the, the next day. Yeah, so, All right. man, the FF14 and Genshin players, and if you're playing both, you're you're suffering. Oh, wow. All right. Well. <laughs> so, uh, so Chow, you're going to have to you're going to have to carry us. Uh, so Genshin Impact 3.0 with uh, it got there is a six minute long trailer called The Morn A Thousand Roses Brings. Uh, I have not watched this. I feel like if I did watch it, I'd be completely lost. Uh, what are or is is and what are Genshin Impact players excited about for 3.0 and what is it bringing? So when you get a new number or the first number, it means you get a whole new region. And it means that, real shit. Yeah, it's real shit. <laughs> it means like it's actually like a real new lands to explore. It's almost like a new game again. You know, it's like your whole expansion pass is is out there. Uh, I think what people are most excited for because now that we have a new region. The, there's one element that there was always hinted at the game when it first launched. Like, it's the dendro element, and you finally what? get to yeah, 
Dendro is basically like grass, like a grass okay. element. Apparently, yeah. you don't get to use this element for the entire game that's launched, but it's hinted there from the loading screen. So people are like, oh, what's this element? And we finally get to use it. I think it's a little dumb to introduce an element so late into the game, but <laughs> yeah, we finally got the missing element from. That's a fucking gotcha game moment right there. Just a weird <laughs> aside, but I know, yeah, the prefix dendro means like grass and trees. All right. So. Yeah, they got the. So I, I assume, I assume that means that they are introducing at least a handful of characters that are going to match that element. Yeah, um, that's why they're giving you uh, one of the characters for free. Uh, Kaleli, I think it was her name was. Uh, you see in the trailer, she's she's also in like a previous trailer where they show her from this villain trailer that they showed at one point. It's like a whole villain meetup. Everyone's like so hype about this trailer. But if you're not a Genshin fan, you'll be like, what the fuck are these guys doing? <laughs> right? So, yeah, you'll see her in this trailer. It's like she's having nightmares and of the villains talking. And, yeah, so she gets given out for free as an event from this new patch. Then we got all the characters that are introduced. The five-star is not limited. The first five-star that they're introducing is actually part of the regular banner. Oh, my uh, God. Uh, Tignari, because you know in Genshin, one of the biggest problems is that every character is freaking limited. You'd be trying to roll for them, and they're gone for who knows how long. That's and, a fucking FGO Grand Blue moment right there. <laughs> yeah, every single character is freaking limited, and like basically in the Gacho pool, there's only like four like regular characters that are five star, and everybody else is fucking limited. Mm-hmm. Well. Like, which character are you excited for the most, but limited or not, in this in this new region? The honest truth is, I am not excited for anybody. Dang. Oh, that the, no cool vo- voice actors or actresses uh, for them. I I don't know who they are yet. Okay. Um, if there is a voice actress that can convince me to to go whaling. It might be, let's say, uh, I Pharaohs. I okay. think that's how you say her name is. Uh-huh. You know, the uh-huh. I think if she was there, I would probably go whaling. Uh but no, uh, you can't convince me. Uh, they're, they're, one of the things that I'm rerunning immediately is a, is a Shang-Li a banner, and there's a Ganyu banner. So maybe it's time to wail more Ganyu again. Don't you already have Ganyu? Yeah, but you know what? When you love your waifu, you want to max <laughs> your constellation, okay? Podcast you, Did you ever share your fucking uh, new keyboard story? Here on the podcast. Yes, I have a new, I have a Ganyu keyboard and a Ganyu arcade stick. Okay. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm happy for you, Chow. I'm also yeah. sorry that apparently uh, you're, we're gonna we're gonna lose Chow for a month <laughs> uh, when these updates launch. For it's like, what's games. what's the next Ganyu coming out? Where, where's this? Oh, okay, so so what's your what's your uh, what's your what are you what are you planning, Chow? When we, because the, these two updates seem to be coming out side by side. Is it just going to be like, okay, on one screen it's Genshin and the other, the other screen it's FM14? The easiest way is I'll just beat the Savage tier week one and go AFK because Final Fantasy XIV, you can take the content casually because if you could beat it, you don't have to go back and log in. You see, that's that's the easiest way. Uh, and if that fails me, well, Genshin's more casual. I mean, the game, the content's not going away. I mean, if you're behind, then you actually have something to do, right? No, that's okay. actually. Uh, I think that's actually a healthy mindset. You don't have to keep up with all the locusts that do everything gate day one. It'll be there when you get to it. Yeah, we're not like Tower of Fantasy here. We're gonna time get your treasure chest. Oh, and, uh, that was imagine so if weird. you find this very hard to find treasure chest in the middle of nowhere, yeah. and it says "Come back five days when you can open <laughs> yeah. it." 
it's so weird. I don't know why they do that. Yeah, uh, new region. It's hype. It's just like your standard you new know, new content. But you know, I'm not totally excited for it because I don't seem to kind of attach to the setting because you know, uh, was it the Archons like this little fairy looking uh, character as well, which is kind of weird. But I don't know. Uh, but yeah, that's basically the new Genshin patch in the in a nutshell. Interesting to see how the uh, how much of a of a game changer the the new element is if it, if it is in any way, and also what character you end up deciding you end up liking despite not feeling any of them at the moment. Uh, I want to roll on the villains. They have like this villain trailers, and I want to roll on them. I don't care about the good guys. I just want to roll on the bad guys. Have they have they ever? Ma- I mean, th- I guess they they did make some villains villains playable, right? I'm I'm thinking of like Doctor Gilia or whatever. His name yeah, is. he's he's the only playable villain. So because okay. he's uh, playable, technically, I mean, there might be more in the future. I mean, unless you consider Raiden Shogun a villain as well, because she was a antagonist at one point in the story, you know. But obviously, oh, no, no, don't say that. I, I hear if you say. If say anything bad about her like uh millions of genshin fans will like cremate you yeah but you know people find out you know it's like there's a big backstory to this thing but i'm just saying you know if you count her as a antagonist as well it's like and she's rollable then you know maybe all the other antagonists are rollable too maybe doesn't matter you won't have any money for them because of the ganyu rerun banner oh no gotta pump up those guides guys Yeah, go go go, Alex. I need more money for for for, for Genshin rolls. That is that 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 reminds me of like it was pretty funny that like in the past I won't say who, but there have definitely been some staff members that be like, yeah, I use the money I get from here to uh, pop into Gotcha. Oh no! Yeah, we're just just that's uh, that's our way of giving back. Yeah, way of giving back by by killing video games even faster. The last major news story that we have for the week actually involves a Capcom developer changing houses. And that is that Hiroyuki Kobayashi, who is the producer of Dragon's Dogma, has left Capcom after, I believe, 27 years and is heading over to NetEase Games. If that sounds familiar, that's because a very similar story was talked about a few months back when RGG Studios Nagoshi also headed to NetEase Games after several years over at um, RGG Studios. It seems like NetEase is where veteran Japanese producers are, are headed these days. Talking about, depending on your inclination towards gacha games, this is either good news or terrible news. Just depending on how you feel about NetEase as well. I don't know, like, is NetEase one of the ones that has a good reputation or a terrible reputation? I don't remember. It has a pretty bad reputation in terms it of, does. like, Dr. Games. I, 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 like, they're, no, they're no Netmarble or um, Nexon, but NetEase is, I never was. Eh, NetEase, uh, Netmarble, Nexon. I don't uh, blame myself for getting these kind of confused sometimes. Yeah. Don't seems like a game with Net name start in the front. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Like, I, hopefully, there's something cool that comes out of the 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 NetEase's uh, uh, efforts now on like making uh, having these uh, veteran Japanese developers, like you know, go go in a new direction. I'm always in support of that. If they want to go into a new direction, make something of, of themselves, not be confined to like you know prior practices or like business culture. Like, I, I really want to see what they're what they're capable of. Like, you know, when they're uh, detached from all that you know that that's something interesting and fun and hopefully netties gives them the freedom to do that i think the 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 main fan base that's really feeling it is 
um, Hiroyuki Kobayashi was basically one of the last significant names uh, attached to uh, the Sengoku Basara series from Capcom. Um, because he was the a producer on that too, but he was very he was kind of like the face of Sengoku Basara um when it came to that, when the Capcom is still developing those games. Um and now I don't it's very much looking like Sengoku Basara series does not have a future uh anytime soon, which is a shame because those games are fucking fun. You know, like when I when the- I read this title of this news post about uh Kobayashi heading over to NetEase. Obviously, we're only a couple months removed from the announcement of Dragon's Dogma 2, and I remember when we discussed that, we had discussed how a lot of the staff from the original Dragon's Dogma were returning, and I'm, I've pulled up that news story back from June, talking about how Itsuno is returning as the director, Daigo Keno is returning as the art director, and Suzuki is still the project lead who all worked on the original Dragon's Dogma, but Kobayashi wasn't mentioned at the time, so, it's not like, so it seems like he was not involved or I guess we don't know that for certain. He wasn't announced as being involved with the Dragon's Dogma 2 unveiling. Yeah, I was wondering I if, if there was anything there where he was involved with that, but it is, but it is now taking an offer with NetEase. But it seems like that's not the case, at least based on public knowledge. Uh, maybe preliminary, like early stages, but, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but, but I think when it comes to Dragon's Dogma, like, I think it, it's very much attached to and is very much like Itsuno's baby, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Like, I think... Uh, the the strength of Dragon's Dogma is letting Itsuno like run wild with what what he wants with it. Let Itsuno um, cook. Yeah, pretty much. And I I think it's okay in that sense. I I think I'm I'm less worried about more so about the Dragon's Dogma and more so about Sengoku Basara uh, with this departure, which you know it happens. And I'm I'm, I'm sure well, whatever uh, future endeavors Kobayashi tackles, hopefully it's done well and uh, something that's really special. You know, uh, he's. He's had a long, 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 long career at Capcom and wanting like you know something new for himself at uh I mean twenty seven years is a long time to spend at one yeah. company. So it's that's, that's it's, no it's hard it's hard to blame him for like wanting just to see what else is out there and seeing what else he yeah. can do. Yeah. I, I it it is it is it's, this comes at a time, you know, when a lot of like veteran Japanese developers just want to do something new and there's like new avenues globally that lets them open new doors and that's that's exciting, I imagine from like you know, it, it's better. Like it, it must be. It must feel like you know you're reinvigorated to like, kind of explore creatively now. You don't have like the the weird expectations that the company has for you for so many years. Like you're good at this, so like it's kind of like typecasting an actor almost for a role, right? It's like you're good at this, so you're good. This is obviously your next project. Mm-hmm. You know, so you don't you don't you don't have much choice in that. It's like okay, I guess I am working on this now. Now it's just like okay, the 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 possibilities are endless. All right, we've got a handful of smaller news bits for other trailers. So this this whole podcast has been a lot of like trailer analysis, um, but these ones are kind of a little bit more smaller bit news. Uh, the first one that we have listed here is another pair of character trailers for Star Ocean, The Divine Force. A couple of weeks ago, uh, we talked about the character trailers for the two main uh, protagonists, Raymond and Leticia. Or Leticia. Um, now we've got new trailers for Elena and Albard. Now, there's really not a lot to talk about here because the trailers are like 50 seconds long and it's typically just the characters, um, just voice dialogue from the game to splice together in in, in an order that doesn't really make a lot of sense out of context. Albard seems like a bro, uh, but he's also kind of very uh, dedicated to Leticia. Um, Elena is very much kind of a eye candy character of the cast so far, Mm -hmm. for better or for worse. 
Uh, and uh, the camera pans for that later trailer. So it's like, yep. <laughs> the way the camera pans. <laughs> it's yeah. like, okay. It is certainly uh, that kind of game because the, the choreography for some characters, I guess. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I, it's funny because I'm like, near next guy's like, uh, Aldiard is that uh, a certain type of character. I'm like, he's like, I'm like, the, he's like the tie on of like the group, the, the crew, right? Yeah, he's yeah. the he's the point dexter, it seems like. <laughs> but, but actually, out of all, we, we've talked in the past about how this game is ugly and like just visually unappealing in, in, a, in a few ways, at least which, the character <laughs> models, yeah, yeah, at least the character art. But uh, Albard actually looks like the most just generic out of the group. Which is actually kind of like fine, oh, a, a generic-looking character that doesn't look like anything's wrong with it. <laughs> I don't know. I think somebody <laughs> made that comparison. They supposed to look like those dolls from like Thunderbolt Fantasy or something. Dude, <laughs> man, the, the, I know. The I know. Uh, I think it was Gotanda said that when Star Ocean Three was made, so back in the PS2 days, the idea was that they would look like action figures. So like slightly yeah. stylized heads and arms and shoulders, I guess. I just now, now I just want Triace to make a Thunderbolt fantasy game instead. Thanks. I would I would so buy that. Dude, that'd be so fucking sick. Where's our Thunderbolt fantasy game? But yeah. Adam, um, are you still excited yeah. for uh, Divine Force? Yeah, I mean the things I like about Star Ocean games are usually like combat and stat and numbers. Yeah. Or that, have I mean, you even watched these character trailers? Nope. How about I say that, I have it? I don't blame that's you. the that's the thing that's kind of exciting about that like the next mission report trailer because like the next mission report the one that like details gameplay systems like that's going to be going to like stats and skill trees it's like that's the thing that like Adam and I are like yeah show us that we want that because we're we're brain poisoned when it comes to Star Ocean games and Star Ocean the Divine Force releases in late October and we have some people that are very excited for it uh, the character trailers are up on the site they're short there's not a lot to go on them but. Uh... We were up to four. We've got two more of the main cast to go. I forget their names. I'm not going to remind myself of them because I know we'll see the trailers in a couple weeks. They're, oh man, Nina uh, and Midas. Uh, we've got a couple other character trailers for another game, and this is a completely like uh, other side of the pond. And that's for uh, Gotham Knights, which is also releasing in October. We got a character trailer for Red Hood. It's basically a lot of kind of combat comic booky action scenes spliced together i don't have any like attachment to dc characters so i wish i could point at this and be like yeah i you know red hood i've got a, so much attachment to this person but i just don't unfortunately but i still think the idea of gotham knights is kind of fun as kind of like an rpg light arkham like co-op game the red hood just, stuff in gotham knights is kind of interesting because they kind of give him like this uh, uh angle of like the red hood and gotham knights is like resurrected from the lazarus pit the lazarus pit is like a device using the dc universe to bring the dead back so like he's like a resurrected person who is like kind of like these green mysterious energy now kind of like he's a necromancer yeah <laughs> sort of so like i think so he infuses that like into like his bullets and then like his play style is very like gunkata-esque so okay so there's a popular Batman film slash comic called Under the Red Hood, and I think literally I Red that. Hood's, I think Red Hood's story, like the Lazarus Pit, is like actually a part of it. Let's see. Yeah, I mean, yeah, if yeah, you yeah. if you are a DC expert listening to this podcast, I apologize. Yeah, apparently in this movie, this is an animated movie. Yeah, um, got the Joker. That's the character Jason Todd, who is Red Hood, is revived from the Lazarus Pit. Lazarus Pit, not Lazarus Piss. Uh, although it kind of looks like this. Um, and it, he also goes insane in the movie anyway. 
So, so yeah, so maybe it's yeah, inspired by that uh, rendition of Red Hood into this game. And then uh, you know we we don't we don't really cover we didn't really cover it because like you know it was, it was IGN stuff. IGN has been doing some a few Gotham Knights uh, features and videos of like hey how what the, here's what the open world looks like. They're really leaning on like hey he, this was Gotham's history and like you want that to reflect in the game and yada yada. So like I, I feel like it's one of those games like it could be cool, but I need someone to tell me that it, that it's actually cool at at this point. Like I don't know if I'm really that invested in it right now because it, it doesn't help. It's like I, I know it's being unfair to uh warner brothers games montreal but like they're the developers of the worst batman arkham game <laughs> so yep. it's like well i need someone to tell Wait, which, which arkham they, game they, did they do they made arkham origins while yeah. the other three arkham games developed rock rock they're, they're yeah. making the suicide squad game and yeah, some people uh some people swear by arkham origin over the other ones yeah i was mm. gonna say i do know some people who say that origins is their favorite somehow I think that game just gets a bad rep because it was a buggy mess. I don't know, a lot of people couldn't finish the game at launch because of. Well, I remember when I still haven't played what? What's the fourth one? Night, night, um, night. Yeah, I haven't played that one because that one's like six years old now at this point, right? It's only years old. old. Oh, really? Man, I bought Jesus. that on PC when it first came. Well, out. it was like that's, that's what I was gonna say. Like, I wanted to play on PC, but apparently, its PC port was atrocious. I'm like, oh, I'll get back to it when they fixed it. I'm sure it's fixed by now, but I just never made time. Well, for it. it it's it's not, but oh, it's PC not. hardware has kind of brute forced it. It was always like gotcha. really performance issues. It's like on your system now, you would have no trouble. It's just now, like now it's just like things. have enough overhead just to not make it matter. Mm-hmm. Yep, yeah, the, the the magic of PC gaming, like uh, th- this PC port will be okay with time. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Uh, not a character trailer specifically, but we did get a trailer for Temtem, which I did not realize was not at version 1.0 yet. Uh, it's been in early access since January 2020, so over two years now, uh, but is having its 1.0 release on September 6th. And we got a new trailer in the last week for its 1.0 uh, features that are being incorporated with the the full release of the game, specifically focusing on end game activities uh, called the Tamer's Paradise, which seems like a, an equivalent to like a Pokemon Battle Frontier of some sort. Uh, I don't know if anyone here is specifically interested in Temtem. I think Paige might have been. I might be misremembering if anyone has played any of the early access of this game. So I'm not sure to what extent we'll cover Temtem's uh, 1.0 release on the site, if at all. One thing I find really weird about Temtem that I didn't realize until I put up this news post is that Temtem's coming out, well, it's out in early access on PC and PS5. It's not in early access on Xbox, even though Xbox is the console that has an early access like or game preview program. Uh, and it's coming to Switch. But the weird thing is, is that even though it's coming to Switch, it's... Co- it's not coming to PS4 and Xbox One. It's specifically coming to PS5 and Series X and S. Even though, obviously, it could run on PS4 and Xbox One if it can run on Switch. It's weird. Yeah, I don't know why, why, why you would uh, skip the, the consoles that have like really big install uh, bases already. I so. could understand sort of on PlayStation because it's not as easy to make builds for both PS4 and PS5. But like one of the things with... Microsoft is you're already making separate builds for Series X and Series S. And I know from friends of mine that there are developers that the way that the XDK works is that it's pretty simple to make a version for Xbox One and then port it up to Series X. That's why you have all these backwards compatible stuff 
that's um, way better on Xbox and whatnot. It, it's it's fucked. Yep. So uh, next gen and Switch and PC for Temtem 1.0. Not sure we'll have some direct coverage on it, but maybe we'll get someone uh, on board that decides to give it a look at in uh, in September. All right, Chai, you're up. Good luck. <laughs> yeah, oh, no. you gotta you gotta you gotta finish up Genshin and uh, and Final Fantasy, and then we're putting you in Temtem. It is a uh, it is massive multiplayer in some extent. It's just like FF14. I'm sure. <laughs> it's as good as an ultimate raid. Yeah, that, that's the entire game. It's just an ultimate raid. The next trailer that we have listed is for an English release for Neptunia Sisters versus Sisters. This game released in Japan earlier this year in April, and we got a trailer for the English release, which is slated to come out next year. Uh, having not, uh, having only been exposed to Neptunia through the litany of games that they release every year, it seems like this trailer seems like it's mostly just character focused, and it's the same characters that I recognize from every Neptunia game. So I can't really look at this trailer and tell you what I see that is specific. Not to the same title, though. It's like the what? sisters and not the main characters. Right, that's the yes, whole point. Sisters, it's the little sisters of the of the main four, yeah. But uh, mm-hmm. I, I guess I know less about that. They're, they're, than they're, I thought. they're not new characters, though. They're they're definitely not new characters. They they've been around for the series for a while. Are you excited for this, Brian? You sound excited. Uh, no. I'm okay, excited guys. for the CFWs. What does that mean? Custom uh, firmwares. They're the baddies of of the Neptunia series. <laughs> oh, there you go. And then Neptunia sounds like expert, sounds Chow. like Chow is our expert for this game. Yeah, uh, good good job, Chow. <laughs> nice nice soft report, Chow. Oh, no, I don't want people to find that out. <laughs> All right, so Neptunia Sisters okay. vs. Sisters <laughs> will launch physically and digitally for PlayStation Four and Five and Steam uh, next year, early 2023. Uh, yeah, the Steam American release Europe. is new. That that didn't come out in uh, in Japan, so that's new for the global version. The way they announced this is very weird. Uh, Adam and I know this behind the scenes because, like, this was like part of like some fucking weird phone number campaign to, to initially announce it. Uh, pretty much. What like, do you Adam mean by like, phone all, number? It was campaign. like it was like they put up a website publicly like last week, and we knew it ahead of time because they told us like you you want you needed to like text or call a phone number, and then they would like update you through your phone like through text messages. And then I guess they just announced the game through the phone number yeah, for, for yeah. the public. It's kind of like why? Yeah, I don't. I, I think I think that's I think phone's something to do with the game with the yeah, actual game like, itself. It's like so it's like tying in, still. but it's just kind of it's like really dumb. Yeah, they don't have my phone number because all because Adam <laughs> forwarded to me. I was like, you want to do this? I'm like, I don't know. I guess. And then so I uh, sure enough, I typed in the phone number into the text, and then he said, make sure to text putting in all caps. I was like. Cops lock pudding, and sure enough, uh, like a few days later, it's like, well, you'll receive a call like in the next twenty four hours. I'm like, don't fucking call me, what the fuck? <laughs> and, and then, and then, um, and then, like in text, like way after the fact, after everyone got their texts and phone calls and whatever, it's like we're bringing over Neptunia sisters versus sisters, whatever. Next year, I'm like, okay, whatever. So, you gotta, just, so this was announced in a text message. Yeah. So let me yeah. let me go. Let me go. Let me literally fucking go pull up my text. It is, um. <laughs> Okay, I, I text pudding in all caps, and then the response I got was IFI colon. Thanks for signing up to IFI calls. Uh, me exclamation <laughs> mark. You'll be in touch with some familiar faces soon. Reply stop to end. Then like uh, a few like on Tuesday. Uh, game industry colon connection established. 
Call from Planet Plan Neptune incoming in 24, effort, 24 hours. Replies stopped to end. I'm like, Jesus Christ. And then, after that, uh, Thursday, Neptune, colon. Did you hear? Neptune, Neptunia Sisters vs. Sisters is out in early 2023 on PS4, PS5, and Steam. Check it out. Here's the website. And replies stopped to end. And that's it. That's some so very you... viral marketing. But now, now you're on. You're now you're on their texting list. So yeah, you're, uh, that, you're, that, you're that gonna get all the marketing good. for this game before any of us. Are you gonna press that uh, text stop to stop? <laughs> no, I need I need all the Neptunia Sisters versus Sisters <laughs> exclusive marketing uh, via text. I, I need. I'm so I'm so glad we're covering this on the podcast now because this, this is an amazing little anecdote. <laughs> so that, there you go. That that that's my adventure with uh, Adam. Adam sending me spam email. <laughs> yep. <laughs> All right, the uh, the last few little things we have on the podcast are some updated release dates. Um, the first one is for Marvel's Midnight Suns, which has already been delayed. It was originally supposed to come out of March this year. I, was it March? And then pushed yeah, back to so. October. Uh, we had a little bit of a look on this game uh, during the summer. Uh, I forget exactly if this was a the standalone opportunity that Scott had. I think it was that literally we, just a 2K preview event. For this game, so not tied to any yes. other like publisher right. or uh, E3 or anything like that. But anyways, Marvel's Midnight Suns has been delayed to, quote, later this fiscal year, which for most companies means like up until March of the next calendar year for the PS5, Xbox Series and PC release, while the PlayStation 4, Xbox One and Switch releases will be even later than that. So Marvel's Midnight Suns originally planned to launch in March. Pushed back to October, now pushed back to a kind of a nebulous, likely next year time for a few platforms and a nebulous further than that for last gen and Switch. So kind of interesting. It seems like this game was, I don't know if it's having development trouble or if they just really overestimated their ability to deliver it. Not sure how they had the, because at some point you'd think that they were pretty confident that they could hit a March release. But now it sounds like it's going to be a year late at this point, potentially. So I I always... Always can't help but be curious about like what happened behind the scenes for plans to get upended so significantly and severely like that. I, I, I'm wondering like around that October type time frame, like if it was like a like they feel it's too crowded issue, like what were the main titles they were looking at? Uh, Divine Force. Yeah, maybe, dude. And, uh, Potentially Gotham but, Knights, though. Maybe who knows? That may, maybe that, but it's just like not it, a it, very it, different style of game, but. You know, could be like October, October does feel crowded from like the top of my head, but I'm not sure exactly what would like be like renting them. And then like, I wonder. There's also an element of like, when we see this game again, will it be like? I imagine it's gonna be too far in development to like substantially change like the whole structure. But like, I wonder if they'll we'll we'll see elements of things that were previous, like like say like the the monetization um, element of it. I wonder if they're gonna like change aspects of that up. And like maybe that's not hitting with the crowd. It's like, hey, they got in a lot of feedback, and like they really don't. What was uh, the monetization like? It was like it was like uh, character costumes and oh. like, I, I yeah for for so sure. It was basically that, cosmetics. Yeah, I mean, I I, I would cosmetics think cosmetics actually had the stats of them. I, I think cosmetics. Oh, had stats. Okay. Them. Yeah, I I remember, I remember the cosmetics had like substantial like things behind them. I mean, personally, if you were yeah. just, if I, I was, I would think just kind of offhand, if you were going to add DLC to a game like this, just having, obviously that all these superheroes have punches of costumes. And if you just offer like different costumes for like small but amounts of money each, that would be fine. But the fine, thing is, is that it wasn't if like, it was just costumes. Hey, 
It wasn't like pay six bucks for a costume pack. You have to like buy premium currency to buy cosmetics oh, in the game, yeah. which That's seemed like functionally very similar, but kind of like, why, why this way? Like it's, it's very commonplace in many games be like, pay six bucks for these costumes, pay three bucks Eight for bucks. this costume. But, but now it's like you have, there's like an additional step where it's like buy premium currency, go into the game, spend your currency on costumes. It's like, Oh, huh? Yeah. That's a way to a, do it. I suppose. So I, I really wonder if they're like taking a hard look of like certain aspects of the game like that and like hopefully reworking them into something more, you know, palatable. Because I, I, I don't think like the, the, the core audience for, for this game like has been responding well or, you know, a, a good chunk of it. Like there, there's always been like you no know, complaints about, oh, we don't really like that it's like a card deck builder system and like how you and like that's the core combat system. Like I don't think they'll change that up, but I think. You know, they're taking a hard look of like other aspects of the game to at least make it more, you know, serviceable and not like have such a weird reception to it. Like, I still like for a game that like sounds interesting and like what we've seen of it, like it sounds like something I would like, but like there's just some weirdness about it that like has extended to like the the, the intended audience that's like we're not really confident in, in this right now. And it's from the uh, XCOM team, right? But it's yeah. nothing like XCOM. So yeah, it's like it, it, X on, and XCOM has basically just been super solid. So yeah. Anyways, for the uh, for the public announcement of the delay, the only explanation they give on that front is uh, to ensure we're delivering the best possible experience. So not specifically calling out anything other than that. So we'll we'll stay we'll stay updated and see uh, when we hear from this again. It sounds like it might be a while, but. Uh, later this fiscal year that is such a weird is, thing to not like just like just like say another like date it's like you're it, very it, like, it almost, it's a deliberate decision to like like say that's not say a date so it, here's it, a here's a question i'm just going to broach to the rest of the uh podcast do you think the ps4 and xbox one versions are going to survive yeah like i've, I've already seen doubt like all oh, those are canceled <laughs> remember <laughs> when mortal kombat 10 was supposed to come to ps3 and 360 and then something like this happened where it was like oh the ps4 and xbox one versions are delayed to this time frame and the ps3 and 360s are in, versions oh, yeah, are indefinitely I totally, delayed. Forgot, I totally forgot about that and that was the same that. publisher wb yeah. so yeah, yeah. well this is uh not wb it's 2k well yeah 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 but still, it's it wouldn't be the first time something like this has happened. Or it yeah, reminds I mean, me I mean, of like I mean, for me, what I'm thinking of is uh, Pillars of Eternity it's... Two never came to Switch. It just kept. I, I, I think I need to correct myself. It's Take Two and not. I get Take Two and Two K mixed oh, up. Oh yeah. Two K is the publisher Undertake Two. They're they're too similar as the names. Okay. But yeah, Pillars of Eternity with a Switch version. You're right. And then just recently, Gotham Knights a few months ago canceled his PS4 and Xbox One versions as well. Um, so I mean, I, I think the people people of those systems have every right to be worried about like, yeah, we don't know if this these older gen versions are gonna survive. It does seem kind of like overly honest, like later this fiscal year, we have to release this fiscal year. Our 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 budget or our finance, our books depend on it, but we don't want to commit to a date other than that. Uh got another another delay. Uh this one a little bit more general. Um the announced Metal Slug Tactics, which was revealed at a Nintendo Indie World event back in late 2021. It was supposed to release in 2022, uh, but the publisher Datemu, Dotemu was announced that Metal Slug Tactics will release sometime next year instead, in uh, 2023. Um, unlike Marvel's Night Suns, we never really had a, um, 
a concrete release window for this other than this year, potentially. But it sounds like they just need more time. Uh, again, similar to the Marvel's Midnight Suns, this was announced on Twitter, basically saying that they want to make it as explosive as possible on release. They need a bit more time in the shop to prepare for battle. See you in 2023. So it just needs a little bit more time in the oven. That's kind yeah, of yeah. Uh, take all the time you need. It, it, it's a, it's a cool looking game. It's very ambitious. Uh, ad- adapting the Metal Slug formula into a strategy RPG, you know, take the time that you need. Uh, it, it looks to be very challenging, and you know, if you if you need a little bit more time for that, go for it. Uh, I hope it gets a physical release so I can buy it used. <laughs> it, yeah, that, that's that yeah. feels terrible to say, but I, I say I get you. I get you. Yeah. Everything surrounding SNK is very like bittersweet right now because it's like, yeah. man, they're doing they're doing great stuff with games. It's like, who am I financially supporting by buying their games now? Yeah, but remember, like this is developer is the it is using an SNK IP. It's not SNK uh, directly developing it, even though they do get some of the royalties, obviously. But there's the publishers, not any of developers, like here Studio, primarily in this one. Is like here uh, French? Yep. That's kind so of funny. Oh, I guess that makes sense. It's going to be a very French RPG. An FRPG. Uh, and then the last thing we have here is a release date for uh, an announced indie RPG, Sunday Gold. It will also land in the same time frame as many of the other games we've talked about this uh, this podcast. Sunday Gold will launch for PC on September 13th. Uh, we This announcement was accompanied with a release date trailer showing the game this trailer it's really hard to describe without watching it because it doesn't really draw as i watch this trailer it doesn't really draw any easy parallels to any other game like oh this is like x or y or some like other publishing game it has a really unique art style and flavor and gameplay like uh stylings aren't easy to describe it's not easy to compare so just go ahead and give a look for the uh, release date trailer about sunday gold it has some point and click aspects to it it has some like turn-based battle uh type sequences to it it got a very unique kind of art style that i'm not sure i like but i might but it's evocative and i might be warming up to it uh releasing on september 13th like i said uh so seems like september and october are very quickly becoming busy times of years for both big releases and indie titles and with all of that out of the way, I think I've covered everything. So a little bit of a hodgepodge, some big titles and small titles, uh, new release dates, delays, um, and a lot of different trailers of all different sorts of scales that we've been able to go through today. Or All of this is up on the site. So if you want to see any of the trailers that we've talked about and discussed here, uh, they're up on rpgsite.net. So thanks to Adam, James, and Josh for being so diligent and covering all this news as it comes in over the week. We also do have the feature up on the site for... Uh, James's Stranger of Paradise DLC op-ed. And of course, for continued work for Xenoblade 3 coverage in terms of guides that Adam is being very diligent and making sure that he uh, is going through the comments as people realize how certain things work or what certain things people are looking for and making sure that our guides stay up on the site and stay as updated and correct and accurate as possible. Adam, I just want to give a shout out to the commenter that figured out Arden breeding in uh, in Xenoblade 3. Uh, you're a champion uh, person. So <laughs> that, that apparently you, required yeah. like hours and hours and hours of resetting and trying and yeah, like, that's, that is not a, that is not an easy task to, to test for. So if you're listening, uh, thank you so much. So that concludes uh, this episode of the TetraCast. You can follow RPG site on all the social media channels. We're on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram to search for RPG site. 
Uh, we do have a Discord channel. You can go to discord.gg slash RPG site or hit the link at the top of the homepage. Uh, you can go to rpgsite.net to catch up on all the news that we've talked about on this podcast, as well as uh, the recent reviews for uh, Xenoblade and Live Alive and all the rest. We should hope maybe have a Digimon Survive uh, review soon. Obviously, we have the work in progress on the upcoming Soul Hackers 2 and all the other games that are going to be coming out as we head into the autumn months. And you'll hear from us next week on the Tetracast, hopefully talking about some of those games as we get to them. Uh, still potential for a future spoiler cast on Xenoblade 3. It's, we've heard a little bit of in people that have been interested in the idea. Of course, not all everyone here has even finished it and looking mostly at myself. So uh, we'll keep that on the back burner as a potential option before the end of the year. And until you hear from us next time, stay safe and take care. And we'll talk to you later. Rocket launcher.